Connors? Bill Connors, I thought that was you. Hi, how you doing? Thanks for watching. Hey, hey. Now, don't you tell me you don't remember me, because I sure as heck fire remember you. Not a chance. <laughs> Ned! Ryerson! Needle nose Ned, Ned the head. Come on, buddy. Chase Western High. Ned Ryerson, I did the whistling belly button trick at the high school talent show. Bing! Ned Ryerson got the shingles real bad senior year, almost didn't graduate. Bing! Again! Ned Ryerson, I dated your sister Mary Pat a couple times, so you told me not to anymore. Well? Ned Ryerson? Bing! Bing! <laughs> so did you turn pro with that belly button thing, Ned? Or, uh, no, Phil. I sell insurance. What a shock. Do you have life insurance? Because if you do, you can always use a little more. Am I right or am I right or am I right? Right, right, right. Ned, I would love to stand here and talk with you. But I'm not going to. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's all right. I'll walk with you. You know, whenever I see an opportunity now, I charge it like a bull. Ned the bull, that's me now. You know, I got friends of mine who live and die by the actuarial tables, and I say, hey, it's all one big crapshoot anywho. Tell me, have you ever heard of single premium life? Because I think that really could be the ticket for you. Oh, God. It is so good to see you. Uh, what are you doing for dinner? Something else. It's been great seeing you, Needlehead. Take care. <laughs> Watch out for that first step. It's a doozy. <laughs> minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of 11 in this, the month of February in the year of our Lord, 2009. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the partially appointed yet not only ostentatious studios of AM 970 to talk or this, my friends, is the Rick Emerson radio program. Thank you for coming along. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. It is uh, Monday, Groundhog Day. Groundhog did see a shadow, blah, 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 six weeks of winter, whatever, moving on. 503-733-2970, if you'd like to join us today with your comments, questions, clarifications, conventions, ruminations, ponderings, musings on other products to which Bob Dylan could lend his songs, or whatever it is you might have. It's 503-733-2970, it is Monday, welcome to day 12, and so forth. 503-733-2970. Richie Bristol, later on, will be standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along the observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the absurd, or, you know, whatever. Here in the opening segment, though, there's no one manning the phones. They're completely abandoned. They are bereft of any and all screening. It's very exciting. It's 503-733-2970. Thank you for joining us today. You can email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at... RickEmerson.com, Sarah at 970.am, or Richie with a T at 970.am. Uh, before we do anything else, don't forget that we got two things coming up today, uh, winner-wise. 
Uh, today we'll be doing the uh, next installment of the AM 970 Listener Bailout, in which we give a glorious prize to somebody who is involuntarily unemployed. Uh, so we... Uh, I got that coming up today. We'll do the uh, AM 970 Listener Bailout sometime this hour. If you haven't signed up for that, you can do that at 970.am. We're going to be uh, giving something away to an unemployed person every week. Until this recession is over, because we are all in this together, and so forth. Uh, also today, we'll be doing the uh, Happy Valentine's Day or Not giveaway. I think we're doing one of those each and every single weekday. So we sent out, uh, I mentioned this last week, we sent out an alert about it where we had people submit uh, their worst uh, breakup, divorce, relationship, immolation stories uh, at the station website at 970.am. Every day, we will read a breakup story on the air. If we read yours, you win a $75 gift card to Pro Flowers. Dot com. And I got the first so one right if you, here. If you work for the station, you can't apply for the worst breakup stories ever. No. No, you can't. Remember, I have, I have the, I think I have the winning one. Oh, I forgot all about that. Yeah. Oh, we should have you tell it later on, just like, you know what we should do, Sarah, every day this week as we read the listener <laughs> breakup story? You should tell one of yours as well. Yeah. Just so people feel less alone. Yes, I have. Yes, later on to kick it off, I shall tell one of my horrible breakup stories. Hey, by the way, I've, I've got today's. Uh, I won't. I won't say what it is right now, but I got today's uh, breakup story in my hand. It's fantastic. I mean, not for the person to whom it happened, but I mean, hey, they're winning. You know, seventy-five dollar gift card to Pro Flowers. So, you know, all comes out in the wash. Anyway, it's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. If you would like to uh, join us, coming up today as well, CNR Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Uh, will be uh, joining us from the Hill. CNN Radio correspondents James Roop and Amanda Moyer joining us. Uh, we're going to try to rustle up Peter Carlin from the Oregonian uh, to talk about uh, the Super Bowl commercials, uh, Bruce Springsteen thrusting his pelvis at the camera, and uh, so forth. <laughs> uh, good friend Chuck Knopf going to join us at the news desk later on today. Geek Watch, Snuff Watch, It's the Worst Song You've Ever Heard, and don't call about this now, don't email about it now, think about it, don't do anything else. Don't contact us in any way about this. Don't call us. We'll call you. We're not really going to call you. You will call us, but it's not going to happen right now. Each and every day this week, just to amuse ourselves, and by ourselves we mean you, the people, uh, every day this week we're going to do a different question about dealing with the zombie apocalypse. That is uh, in aid of promoting uh, the next episode of CBS Radio Theater, which is this coming Sunday, 6 p.m., featuring a new episode of AZ, as well as Kimmy Waters uh, and the Songbirds of Sing Sing. That'll be the other uh, half of CBS Radio Theater this Sunday, a noir detective thriller set right here in Portland, Oregon. So, uh, anyway, so every day this week we're going to ask a different uh, question about living through the undead. And today's question... I urge you in the strongest possible terms not to call about this now. You can call about other things if you wish, if it strikes your fancy, uh, if it weaves your basket, if it pierces your brosnan. Please don't call about this, though, until we give the signal to call later on. And the signal to call later on... Do I have this signal to... That's not it. It's something. Uh, today's Living Through the Undead question... We're going to start with the big one, because this is something that has been dividing uh, listeners from each other and uh, from me, your humble narrator, for quite, uh, quite some time now. Today's Surviving the Zombies question is this. Is or is not Costco an appropriate refuge during the undead apocalypse? And again, please don't call about this now. Don't I was email talking about, about Costco with someone this morning. I really wanted chocolate, like the chocolate muffins with chocolate chips. That sounds awesome right now. By the way, this is the whole. This is this is the thing that makes the show work right there. That's the whole spectrum in just those two sentences. Where I'm talking about Costco as a refuge from brain-eating undead uh, zombies, and you're all, I want a chocolate muffin. I really do. Matt Green and I were hanging out and talking this morning, engineer. I'm like, 
I seriously thought, I'm like, I want a chocolate muffin from Costco right now. You know, if you keep saying that, one will appear. You oh know it's gosh. true. I know it's true. Anyway, you know, the thing is, it's like a win-win, though, because if we hit out there from the zombies, there'd be all the chocolate muffins a girl could want, Sarah. <laughs> all right, so later yeah, on. It'll be worth it, you know, to be eaten by a zombie if you can have all the chocolate muffins you want. Well, I appreciate you looking at the glasses being half full. Well done. Uh, so that's coming up later on the day. Don't, don't call or email about it yet. But uh, later on, we'll do the zombie uh, question of the day, which is, is Costco an appropriate refuge from the undead? All right, it's 503-733-2970. We'll get the Super Bowl stuff here uh, in just a moment. Oh, also, uh, Michael Phelps, colossal douchebag, which, by the way, we called a long time ago. You call me, say I'm un-American, say I'm not a patriot, that guy's a dick. And I said so a long time ago. And now we have proof, by the way, that Michael Phelps, colossal douchebag, First of all, wins 14 medals. I don't have any problem with smoking weed, by the way. Did you see the photograph of him with a huge bong? No. Oh, it's the best thing ever. Michael Phelps, you know, the swimming no, guy. Yeah, the, the douchey swimming guy. Yeah. The, so, of course, you know, don't, you know he's, he's all clean living and whatnot. Great photo of him at a party. Huge bong. <laughs> and it's right there. It's the, is it the sun that published it? No, it's the news of the world. And so they have this great photograph of him uh, sucking down, uh, you know, uh, marijuana smoke out of a bong. And then what does he do? You'll find out later. No. I've got the whole thing right here. We'll get to that. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Before we do uh, Super Bowl observations, uh, let us uh, welcome to the program, as we always do, the lovely and talented Sarah Stellan. Hello. How are you today? Hi. I'm amazing. I had a spectacular weekend. Do tell. Well, I uh, started my uh, Lisa Wood and my new show last night, The Punk Show. I did on listen. KUFO. I listened uh, to it. It was awesome, except for the fact that, um, you know, five minutes before it, I was sitting at Lisa Wood's desk, and I got up really uh, quickly because we were putting together a playlist, slammed my eye into, um, she has, a, like, a shelf next to her desk. Mm -hmm. So I gave myself, like... Oh, so you stood up into the shelf? Stood up into the shelf, well slammed into my eye, like, three minutes before the show. Yeah, so fantastic. now it still kind of hurts. You don't have a black eye, though. I don't. It's swollen, but... Uh, it's oh, swollen. this is the thing you were showing me last night, because I was here last night, and you were, you were worried that it was going to be a black eye today. Yeah, because I just, I really, like, nailed it. And Did I hear you at one point putting, like, a like a, like a a bag of frozen peas or something on your face? a frozen, like, taco thing in the freezer. So I had a frozen taco on my eyes. They were, like, sitting there, trying to be all, like, badass. All punk. Yeah. yeah no, great. it was so fun. We got to play all of our music, and, you know, Lisa and I, I've never really worked with another woman on the air before, ever. Um, and so, and Lisa, you know, is used to doing her show by herself, and we were both kind of nervous because we're good friends. Mm -hmm. And it just, it went awesome. Well, we well had, done. Yeah, we had a ton of people, uh, a ton of response and people calling in, um, like, picking out songs and stuff. And it was fun. So did that. And then afterward, as a celebration, went out with uh, Lisa and then some of my other friends. We went out karaokeing last night. Excellent. Yes, and I sang a little... Uh, Heart, you would have been proud. Is it all I want to do is make love to you? I sure did. Excellent. Good I've, for you. I've always wanted to sing a little heart, a little Wilson Phillips. Is that your go-to heart song? I've never, no, I've never sang heart before. Really? No. All right. Well, it just seemed like it would be extra super hilarious. No, it's appropriate. I'm glad was. you glad you went with that. All right. I, yeah, did you watch the Super Bowl? I did. I watched until because I had to get here to prep, so I, I watched uh, all the way through Bruce Springsteen running his crotch into the wow. <laughs> video camera. I, yeah, I got all kinds of stuff to say about that. And so you and I watched you about the same. Richie probably watched the whole thing, but uh, you and I watched you about the same. When I watched you about halfway through the third quarter, and then, uh, and I didn't have anything to prep for. I'm just lame, so I wanted to come to work just because I'm a retard. So uh, I was at the so Susan Reynolds had a had a small little shindig at her house, and so I was uh, I was there for that. And there was just uh, massive amounts of carbohydrates and pizza, and like really honestly, like 40 pounds of chocolate covered pretzels. And so I just, do you ever do this where you go to a gathering or you know whatever a party, and you see it, there's some sort of uh, like an hors d'oeuvre or a snack or whatever, and you decide that that's the thing. 
Like you're calling dibs on it, so you sort of plant yourself. Like not actually next to the bowl of snacks, because then it would be obvious that you're just going to graze like some sort of a hideous cow. Um, but you're just, but you plant yourself like arms distance from the snack, so it doesn't look like you're just standing there with one constant assembly line of chocolate-covered pretzels going into your mouth. But you are, in fact, close enough that you could do that. It's just not obvious. Mm. That was me with the chocolate-covered pretzels. That was like me with the cheese-filled Little Smokies yesterday. Oh. They were so good. That's what I'm saying. All right. oh. So uh, so there was that, and then I have many thoughts about the uh, about the Super Bowl that I'll get to here uh, in just a second. Uh, oh, by the way, and I think we're going to start a new watch. I don't have anything created for it right now. I have to do an open and a close. I believe we are going to start an idiocracy on the march, because we have democracy on the march, which... Really doesn't seem to be happening much anymore. That's a thing that seems to have trended away, the march of democracy. That's uh, Perhaps that'll return, but I think we're going to mothball that one for now because uh, we just don't ever find ourselves using it. So I believe we are going to have an idiocracy on the march. And I've got the, the best story ever uh, to start with. And I think Seamus sent this to us, but I, I, if, if I'm wrong, I apologize. I, I can't quite remember. So I sent this to about five different people this weekend. And by the way, I think I almost sent it to you, but I don't think I did. I think I resisted sending this to you. Um, I won't even say it. It's a story from Britain. So it's not even in America, but it's in Britain where these things always start, you know, like the, like the, like the plague. Um, so we'll get to this. This really is, if you ever want absolute, tangible, definitive proof that people are dumb and getting dumber, and I don't just mean like a single person, like some guy who accidentally sets his crotch on fire. I mean people as a whole. That's a collective. We, the people, are just becoming dumber by the second. I get all the proof you're ever going to need right here. So this story, here's the thing. I don't want to oversell it, but this story, this is actually such hands-down, final, definitive, irrefutable proof that we are all becoming morons. I mean, except for us. It's such proof that I read this story aloud to Lara this weekend. We were sitting at home uh, Saturday. I think she, we, we were, I don't know what they were doing because we're lame, but uh, we were updating our day planners together because we're just that exciting. Uh, and because, you know, I've had this, I had this sort of, um, this temporary day planner where I was waiting, waiting for my new one to arrive. And then her, same thing with her. So we were actually sitting around on Saturday transferring all of our tasks from our old day planners to our new day planners. And then I had to synchronize everything with my BlackBerry. Anyway, so while she was doing that, I was reading the story to her. This story actually is such cementing proof that people are fundamentally effed and becoming more stupid with every passing second that I actually said to her, I said, you know what we ought to do? Like, we ought to get, like, you and me and about ten of our smart friends, we ought to get together in a room somewhere. We ought to find, like, ten or twelve people that we think we could sort of tolerate being around. We all, all get together, and we're going to make a pact that we're going to take the next 10 years, and we're all going to make as much money as we can, however we can do it, and then we're all going to move to an island together uh, with high-speed internet access so we can avoid people until the end of time because this world is... You have no idea how angering this story is. So I'll get to this, and it's not like... And it's not a story where anything bad happens to anybody else. It's just stupidity in its truest sense. So we'll get to that. All right. Hello, Richie Bristol. How are you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, not feeling well. I had a bad weekend. Why did you have a bad weekend? Why did you have a bad weekend? Uh, BG Penn lost and uh, Arizona lost. Did you want Arizona to win? Yeah. What, what was the first half of your sentence? Who lost? BJ Penn he lost to GSP. Uh, USC fight Saturday night. Oh, I'm sorry. All right. And uh, who else lost? Uh, Arizona. The Cardinals. Yes. Yeah. Big game last night. Watch it. Hey, 
Let me just be relatable. How about that 100-yard uh, uh, return? I did ah. see that. That was ridiculous. That was fantastic. No, it wasn't. It really was. It was wasn't. You know, look, lucky. Don't be, there's lucky. no need to hate, Richie. That wasn't lucky. That was a guy who's not used to running 100 yards, like sprinting his ass off and jumping over people. You know, I'm going to make sure that guy comes to your first cage match, and if you win, he's just going to say that was lucky. Uh, oh. uh, he's just going to taunt you. Uh, you know, the great thing about that guy is I think he'd been cut like four different times. Yeah, lucky would have been if he just caught it and, you know, just interception. Lucky isn't running the entire, like, the, the longest run in, in 100 yards. History, yeah, right? it was 100 yards. It was, it a was 100... a little more than that, too, because he started in the end zone. And I don't know anything about football at all. Uh, but I was watching that, and it was a 100-yard return, and even all of us. And it was that thing where, and this probably happened in living rooms all over the uh, all over the world, but the guys doing the 100-yard return, and it was that great thing where, like, the further and further he got, the louder it got in the living room, as all, especially the dudes, all the dudes in the house who were watching the Super Bowl, it's like are escalating in the whole, like, come on. You know, and everybody starts to get amped up as you realize that the guy was going to go all the way with it. And then, I mean, it really was like it was scripted because, of course, the guy gets to the end zone, and then I think they they, they challenged it or whatever. Like, they, they said uh, they, they, they disputed it. And so they had to go up in the booth and watch it back like 900 times from different angles, and then they finally ruled that it was a touchdown. And it was it was really quite something. I mean, it was I mean I'm stating the obvious there, but it was it was really quite exceptional. And then it kind of got overshadowed at the end because there was just such an amazing succession of plays, like right at the end of the game, which is because see here's the thing is usually, and this is such a widely known thing that again even I know it. The usually the Super Bowl is just a big blowout. I mean, usually there's really nothing gripping about the actual game. That's why everybody started focusing on the commercials over the years. Because for the two teams that are presumably the best in the world at that moment, usually the Super Bowl is just such a lopsided victory that there's just no drama at all. Uh, so yesterday was sort of exceptional in that regard as well. All right. Um, well, we probably don't have time to talk much about uh, all my Super Bowl thoughts. I know everybody's sad about that. I'm just floored that you went to a Super Bowl party. Well, there was, there was pizza. Okay. And did I mention the chocolate-covered pretzels? Yes, yes, you did. All right. And then, by the way, just in, I mean, just in case you're wondering that I somehow became manly overnight, there were large sections of the day uh, where, like, other dudes in the room were actually watching the game, and then Chris Paddock and I were together. And then and Land of the Lost, the new Land of the Lost trailer with Will Ferrell. I don't really appreciate that they're playing the, the T-Rex for laughter. I find that the T-Rex ought to be a dramatic device. That's me, by the way. We were both doing that. Um, all right, so I got Super Bowl thoughts that we'll get to. Uh, including uh, Bruce Springsteen thoughts. I have a, a radio question to get to. Uh, let's see. Just one one real quick thing here. Here's all I'm going to do. I'm going to read because I don't want to be accused of just teasing this out. And we'll take a break. I'm going to read the first, like, three sentences from this story about how we're all becoming unbelievably stupid. And by all of us, I mean the British. This is from MSNBC.com. I'm not making this up. Everybody I sent this to this weekend immediately responded back with, Are you effing kidding me? And I had to say, No, no, I'm not. Birmingham, England. That is England's second largest city after London. The second largest city in England, Birmingham, has decided to... I'm not making this up has decided to remove apostrophes from all of its street signs saying that, quote, they're confusing. <laughs> so now St. Paul's Square, P-A-U-L apostrophe S, will now just be P-A-U-L. 
U-L-S. Kings Heath, K-I-N-G apostrophe S, just K-I-N-G-S. So now every possessive street sign in uh, Birmingham, uh, Britain, they'll now all just be plural. Because that's not confusing. I'm just going to read this one more time. England's second largest city has decided to remove apostrophes from all street signs, saying, quote, They're confusing. People confused by apostrophes. Welcome to Carl's Jr. All right, we'll take a break. Back after this, Lisa Desjardins, Super Bowl thoughts uh, later on. Zombie question, Peter Carl and Chuck Knopf, all that. Stay there, it's the Rick Emerson Show. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. This just in. Michael Phelps, huge douchebag. Well, that isn't Justin. That isn't breaking news. No, it's an update, I guess. <laughs> we're, I, you know, I'm proud to say that we were on that train like day number one. Right. Uh, I'll get back to the British thing here in just a second. Later on, Chuck Knopf, Steve, uh, no, not Steve Kessler, Amanda Moyer, uh, Jim Roop, and so forth. This, however, from the Hill is CNN radio correspondent and fashionable woman around town, Lisa Desjardins. Hello there. Hi, guys. How was your uh, weekend? You know, it was fantastic. Did you watch the big game? Oh, yes. What a great game. I thought last year's game had a great ending, but geez. We were just saying that uh, usually, I mean, and although I guess it's been disproven the last few years, that typically the Super Bowl is just such a lopsided kind of blowout that there's no real dramatic tension, which is why everybody kind of sort of latching onto the commercials, because the game itself was just sort of an exercise in <laughs> tedium. But that is uh, that has really become... And it uh, like this game might be going in that direction for a little while. It was looking like it could be a blowout. Well, it, it, here's here's the thing. I mean, the, the biggest indicator of how great the last, I mean, I was sort of watching uh, some of it later on the TiVo, but how the sort of conclusion of the game was, the biggest indicator of how exciting the game was at the conclusion is that that 100-yard return kind of got overshadowed by the end, which I didn't think yeah, was possible. Yeah, it did. That's right. So, I mean, that really, that right there, there sort of tells you uh, all you need to know about it. But, um, uh, hey, what is your Super Bowl snack of choice? What were you uh, eating the most of? Oh, geez. We, I made um, some buffalo burgers, which are actually burgers that taste like buffalo wings. But hamburgers? How do you do that? Now, is it just a question of spices? Yeah, yeah. You just add, add some good hot sauce, add a whole bunch of other stuff, put like them in that. the patty, make little mini burgers. Hey, by the way, have you seen that thing? Uh, there's a recipe floating around the Internet now for it is, it is, in fact, just a hamburger that's made out of bacon. What? It really, it's like some weird... What? There's a whole... No, it's called a bacon explosion, I think is what it's <laughs> called, but I might be confusing that. Here's the here's the thing. I don't even... I don't even need to set, like, a Google news alert or anything because I... Because the audience is sort of like... The audience here is sort of like, they're like, uh, it's like the power of distributed computing. You know, there's that thing, the SETI project, and I will work my way back to the Super Bowl here, but the power, uh, the power of the audience is like this. There's this thing called the SETI project, and the SETI project is where they have asked a whole bunch of people to download this little application that runs on your computer, and it's a screensaver, or looks like that, but what it is is... There's a group that is analyzing signals from outer space to look for signs of extraterrestrial intelligence, to, to, to look inside sort of radio waves received from the cosmos or something and see like, if there's any sort of... Like not unlike Jodie Foster? Exactly. Right. But the thing is, like, nobody can really afford a computer to do that. So mm -hmm. what they do is they ask, uh, you know, like outer space nerds to download this screensaver program. But what it really does is, is it looks like a screensaver, but it's analyzing a tiny, tiny little part of the data. 
And the whole theory is that you can get like 5 million people to download this program, then over time, all of them together can analyze the whole spectrum. So it is the power of distributed computing. That's what the audience is. And so the audience Mm. can actually sort of aggregate uh, and sift the entire content of all knowledge on Earth. Wow. So as a result, I get uh, two things. I get uh, zombie news and I get bacon news. And occasionally... (laughs) Bacon zombie news, but not very often. Right, no. So there's this thing called the bacon explosion, which I do believe is some sort of a weird cheeseburger that is, in fact, made out of a hamburger-bacon combination that has been extruded through some sort of a thing and then mashed into burger shape. Wow, this is not like bacon on top. It's actual, like, the, the, co- the contents, one yes. big mash. No, it is, it is, in fact, hamburger and bacon that have been merged together. as a confluence wow. of, of two fantastic meats. Wow. Just saying. That, I so. don't even. Uh, wow. Right. Nothing else to say. Hey, yeah. So, what did you eat during the Super Bowl? And I'm, I'm sure you've already shared your, with your listeners. It's sort of shameful. It was just a huge bowl of chocolate covered pretzels. I mean, really. Hey, that's, you uh, know what? The chocolate covered pretzels are fantastic. I'm kind of a sucker for the sweet and the savory uh, yeah, mixed together. It was yeah, that yeah, and that's a great. That might be the best dessert snack. It was. Is. It was wonderful. And then for the main course, there was some. Uh, there was some pizza. There was some uh, excellent uh, Chicago deep dish pizza. That I swear to God, just like that episode of Mash, where Hawkeye sends away for Adam's ribs to be sent to uh, Seoul or to to you know to Korea from uh, yes. from Chicago. These were pizzas that had actually been packed in dry ice and overnighted from Chicago. Oh. There you go. No expense oh, was spared. Was there some corporate Wall Street executives involved with this party? No, but yeah, no, just, you know how Chicago people are. They're, uh, I mean, and yeah, that's true. And it's the it's Super Bowl. They're that's very true. particular about such things. Yep, yep. That and then like a uh, some sort of like a, like a bowl of Chipotle chips or something that were quite good. Anyway, so yeah, there you go. Yeah. Hey, by the way, just in case you wanted evidence that people across uh, the world are becoming dumber, I have said evidence for you. I'm just going to read this and look <laughs> for the actual news. I was looking for that. This is uh, from what we'll call another news outlet, and it says, Dateline London. Birmingham, England's second largest city, I'm not making this up, Lisa, has decided to remove apostrophes from all of its street signs, saying that, quote, they are confusing, end quote. What? Bam, there you go. So now um, St. Paul's Square with an apostrophe uh, indicating possessive. Now just St. Paul's Square indicating that, in fact, wow. it, it is a square of many, many, many St. Paul's. Wow. So there you go. England Wait. is removing all of the apostrophes from Birmingham street signs because they confuse people. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, we do have a strange, you know, the AP style book does say, and I never, I have to say, I never mastered this rule, but there are some in, some some instances where you would think an apostrophe is needed where it is not, like teachers' organization. So if, if like, apparently if it's, it's a very, if, if you're describing a very large class or very large group and you put an S on the end, it works more, I guess, as a plural or so, I don't know. For some reason, you know, you need an apostrophe. I will tell you this. You know, the one that always confuses me is when you're is when you're talking about. Um, like let's say if you are if you are um, making a plural into a possessive, such as, and I think you just sort of hit on it, but if you were to say like um, the women's group, yes. So yes. if you're saying like a women's group, does the apostrophe go before or after the s? Oh right, go, it would go after if you're using it at all. Although it's a, it's a plural women, but then I think with the s, it would. Yeah, I would think it would go after, but I think maybe that maybe that's why that rule is there even now yeah. that I think about it. Here's another one that screws me up: is peoples. 
uh, you know, and like the People's, the right. People's Choice Award, People's uh, which I guess it goes afterward, maybe, but I, it's all very confusing. People's, so, all yeah, right. I don't know. Well, I don't there know you go. But, but just and somebody else noted this via email. As of now, the British have ceded their right; they have yielded their right to ever again bring up that whole uh, "we invented the language, so we're going to make fun of the Yanks who can't talk correctly." Uh, yeah, you know, it, where are they on unique though? Where are they on unique? What do you mean? On the and unique? Uh, who knows? I I mean. But, I mean, it's like if you're going to be removing apostrophes, because God knows if something... I mean, what the, the hell kind of logic like is that? Like literary, I, literary genocide? I just wish that I could somehow call Britain on the phone, like the entire country, and say, Hello, Britain, it's Rick Emerson. Why don't you call... You need to call... What time is it? You need to... This is a, well, it's kind of late there now, but it's you, you could still raise someone in Call somebody in Birmingham and go, Hey, what is the problem with, with apostrophes? What, what does that on? even mean that apostrophes are confusing? To whom We're are they confusing? You guys lording over us that you're the masters of language and you know, you do this. Here's the thing. I'm changing it from now on. From now on, the British can't lord anything over us. They can only surf things under us. <laughs> Bam! There you go. Um, That's a little I, inversion now, humor. Bringing Russia in, I like that, too, because everybody... Even if people don't think Russia really is all that strong, everyone's still a little scared of that's, Russia. That's what I'm saying. I, just, I as, think. There's a final note here. The idea that you're going to remove apostrophes because they confuse people, Lord knows that's always the way to understanding is if you don't quite know what something means or it, you know, it makes you a little uncomfortable, just get rid of it. Don't <laughs> attempt to understand it. Just remove it so it doesn't puzzle your tiny brain anymore. Ugh. Or put it in a box in your basement. Matt. Two options. That's only if you're uh, that's only if you're Kevin Spacey and seven. Right. Okay. Uh, hey. hey, so um Hey, I didn't know you guys were so uh, uh way out ahead on the Olympic swimmers and you know You know, F that guy. Out. Seriously, I don't mean to sound un American. F him. I, I I have thought that for the longest time he was just a douche. Now what what particularly today that I'm really interested in exactly what's inside in this today. I mean, I know the whole story over the weekend, but what was it his statement? Like what is it Well, first of all, we thought he was a tool a long time ago. I, Apparently, I had no idea. I don't mean to be. It's, I'm not anti-Olympics. I'm not anti-sport. I'm not anti-achievement. I don't care if he. I mean, I'm not anti-swimming. Okay, he with just, people. He just. Uh, look, I have no problem judging a book by its cover. I'm going to say that right now. Uh, a lot of people who are like, no, no, no. You need to understand him as a person. I don't. I can see one photograph of you and understand everything there is to know oh, about geez. you. And Sarah is the same way. Sarah and I are on the same page here. So right after uh, what's his name. Uh, Michael Phelps won, you know, like 70 medals or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I saw a bunch of photos of him, and they weren't all from the same night, by the way. They were from different parties. And I swear to God, he's doing the thing if he has like, he has like a pink golf shirt unbuttoned all the way, you know, like as far as it'll go. And then he is, in fact, wearing his baseball cap, like all turned to the side. <laughs> douche. That guy is a douchebag. So it's actually, it's, it's that aspect of the photo, just in general, that you're like, that, that, guy. that was the moment. As soon as I saw him at a party with his hat turned sideways, I'm like, you know what? <laughs> that guy, that guy's a tool. Um, so then he gets uh, he gets busted, you know, smoking a big bong uh, this weekend, or, you know, whatever. He's slamming. We've got here slamming beers, using a bong, and apparently had women draped all over him. By the way, I'm fine with all of those things. Doesn't matter to me. But then what does he immediately do? He immediately starts groveling, uh, like he just starts toadying to the Olympic Committee by apologizing. You know what I mean? Here's the thing. If I won 14 medals and I was a huge pot smoker and I got busted, you know, with a big bong in my hand, you know what i do? i put out a big press release. Yes, I won 14 medals and I smoke pot. What are you going to do about that, huh? Brooklyn. And then you just, and then you throw down the mic and you're out. What is, what is the point of winning 14 gold medals and becoming some sort of Iron Man if then you're just going to cry like a little girl every time that you get caught on film doing something they don't like. It was very similar to his statement when he was caught DUI, you know, 
I guess seven years ago now or something like that. Very, 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 okay, I'm, I'm doing the Bill Clinton here. I'm just, all right, you got me. I'm very sorry. Never happened again. I offended everybody. I'm so sorry. Yeah, that's, but you know, he, you know what he's worried about is all of his, um, all of his deals, all of his meal ticket deals with the advertisers. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, well, we very likely, some of them, I would think, back off, you know, if parents all started rattling, you know, and getting upset. That he I, was a, a vowed drug user. I, you know, maybe, but I mean, we got a president who who used cocaine. I mean, you know what I mean? I'm not trying to be flip. I mean, right. Barack Obama admitted that he, at one point in his life, was a cocaine user, and he said, you know, it wasn't the right thing to do. In retrospect, shouldn't have done it, but you know, I did it, and let's move on. And uh, so, and clearly, this is a so thing that like Michael Phelps does. The statement you're looking for, yep. I I just you know it's like every time somebody uh, you know gets in trouble for saying saying something that rubs somebody somewhere in some special interest group the wrong way. Don't you wish that occasionally when somebody, you know, is sort of taken to task by somebody with too much time on their hands for, you know, they've, done, they've said something that's objectionable or controversial, that their press statement would just amount to like a big F you on some letterhead with like a, you know, notarized and then just faxed to everybody. There you go. There's my response. Eat one. The whole, what are you going to do, arrest me for smoking? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and this, I, here's Michael Phelps' statement. I engaged in behavior which was regrettable and demonstrated bad judgment. I, seriously, be a man. I mean, you're either a man or you're not. Don't grovel like a uh, grovel like a child. It's it's just demeaning. It's embarrassing to all of us. Uh, uh, hey, stimulus package. Let's talk about the stimulus package. Yeah, how about it? Okay, so floor of the Senate. I'm looking up right now. They've just started debate technically on the Senate on the stimulus package in the Senate. It passed the House last week, as we all talked about. Uh, they, it looks like they're they're actually not really talking about it much today because we've got uh, the Attorney General nominee Eric Holder's coming up for a vote. So that's probably what they'll. If you tune into the Senate, and I know everyone is rate is dialing it up right now. Of course, uh, you will probably hear more about Eric Holder than the stimulus package. But all it's all behind the scenes right now. A lot of negotiations. It's not clear that President Obama has the votes in the Senate, and that Republicans are sort of flying out with all kinds of alternatives different ways to cut taxes, different ways to spend the money, lots of negotiations behind the scenes right now. But I, I don't know how much Democrats are really going to change their plan. They probably have to change it a little bit, but I don't know if it's going to be dramatically different from what we've seen, which, is, of course, is that sweeping plan that spends money 100 different ways, and each of you would get a $500 check. Because that'll make because that'll make all the difference in the world. Because that'll make all the everything will be okay. You know, Americans are it, it, people are, and I'm and I'm not any smarter than the average person about many things, but Americans are just so easily we're like cats, and as soon as you just roll like a ball that jingles across the floor, we just go, <laughs> oh, that's great, that's what you know. It's like was that woman yeah, in California? That's still true, though. I think I think a lot of Americans are starting to say, wait. Nah, I don't know. Every time they roll it, some look, and if you have another baby, we'll give you three hundred dollars, and suddenly. <laughs> You know, the average breeder just, $300, honey, come in here and impregnate me. They're going to give me 300 Wait, let's, hold on, I know we already have six kids. Let's go get some fertilization drugs so I can have 14 Eight kids. More. Right, exactly. I, I don't know. Right. I don't know. I don't know how this one's going to shake down. I think it's pretty messy. I think that we will end up with a package that President Obama will say is going to save the economy and that some Republicans may support but other Republicans will say that it's the wrong way to go, and the truth is we're not going to know until you know, three, four years from now if it really works or not. And I, I think I think there is a very fair debate over whether this package will is the maximum way to create jobs or not, because there just is a lot of regular year in year out Democratic stuff that they want. You know, I mean they've got like they they've got a bunch of Xboxes on there. You know, it's, it's that kind of thing that. 
I don't know. It doesn't feel like emergency spending. I mean, look, uh, I'm just saying in a theoretical sense. Really, you in times like this, you really do start to see the appeal of some sort of benevolent dictatorship. Uh, where you just, that's you know, what, yeah, that's what Plato was for. Where yep. you just, there's some guy at the top who's like, you know, he gets all the smartest people in a room and he goes, look, the, the economy's broken. Who, who can fix it? You know, and as soon as some guy starts being obstructionist, bam, one less guy in the room that you have to worry about. Uh, and you just, you just go on down the line. What about you? You're you going to help out or you're going to be part of the problem? <laughs> I'm fearful that this conversation will be pointed to as a moment in history. <laughs> They thought dictatorship was going to work. I'm just saying, Plato, you know, I'm just saying, you, <laughs> Plato decides, you know, uh, that... Friggin' DJ Rick Emerson if brought up the idea slowly. <laughs> it started with a talk show host in Portland who said a dictatorship seemed swell. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, if Plato has an idea, maybe we ought to give it some consideration. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah the fact that we're still talking about him at all means, yeah, he did something right. I'm just saying, it seems like there ought to be one guy at the top, finally, who can just go, uh, look, seriously, if you don't help us out, I'm going to have you taken out back and beaten senseless. Uh, and, <laughs> and really, so it's your, the choice is yours, friend. I mean... And I'm not, that's not just a thing about Republicans. Let anybody think I'm being partisan. That is Republicans and Democrats both. It, I mean, so anyway. But that leads me to my final point here today, Lisa, uh, which is that, so uh, I've decided, my wife and I decided this weekend, that we're going to find, I don't know, 10, 12, maybe 15 people that we think we could tolerate for an extended period of time. We're all going to get together. We're going to make a pact over the next decade. Uh, just to whatever through whatever means are necessary to make as much money as possible, then we're all going to move to an island somewhere. Uh, oh, I'm so in on that. Jason wants to be in on that too. Okay, there you. Oh, but I got a scoot. I'm sorry. All right, not at all. Well, just yeah, as long right. as you're in. All right. Bye. All right. Thank you. All right, there you go. That's Lisa. I was watching the phones, by the way, waiting to see if we were going to from Amanda, and she hasn't popped up yet. See, the thing that you don't know is you can't tell because Richie is on a completely separate phone bank, so they'll call on another line and be on hold, but you can't. I thought, but like last week, it was working. Mm. Where it would be like Steve on last week, Rick. Come on. Oh God! Now I feel like a jerk. No one tells me these things. So no, I mean, but she's not popping because I mean, because if she was there, then it would pop up. But she isn't there yet. Oh, all right. I was gonna say. Cause so no, no, you shouldn't feel like a jerk at all. All right. It's Amanda, right? What? Yes, Amanda Moore. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, not animal. Um. So can I tell you what else I did this weekend? Yes. Yes, you can. Wait, but I'm gonna ask you right now. Are you in on the island thing? Do I don't know. Time to think up, about it? I was looking up stories on coin. Okay. Just, the news. I'm, <laughs> just, I'm just saying, if like if we all decide that... You oh, know, if like, we all want to go to an island... 15 and... of us, we're going to buckle down, make some money, move to an island so we can be away from everybody? Yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah, and I agree with you. It has to be with the Wi-Fi. Oh, no. we got to have net. we got to have cable. Yeah. Uh, we got to have some sort of internet access. i got to be able to watch... Uh, what's the CBS... Uh, not, not the Hulu thing. What's the CBS version of that? The what thing? You know Hulu.com? What's the CBS? Uh, it's CBS.com. CBS.com. Mm-hmm. Long as I can get that. Um, you know, if you go to Hulu, it actually transfers you, like, me, at least, like, 80% of the time to CBS.com. I don't understand how that works. I don't either. Well, anyway, so, uh, all right, well, I'll, I'll pencil you in. Okay. Right, you plus one. And then can I bring along my new friend? Your bicycle? Yes, you can. I got a new bike. It's mint green. It is so, it's a Bianchi. It's amazing because i've been you know i've had my electra for like five years and it's just so heavy and the gears have finally all gone out and well it was kind of i mean it was stylish but it seemed very big and cumbersome bike. no it was a that was a bike for uh photos yes i've been using that bike no i guess now for like six years and so finally i needed to buckle down and get a commuter bike because i bought a, a bianchi this weekend and it's got the cool thing it's got lights built into the seat lights which is built a great into idea. the seat why so didn't they think about, about that it's genius i don't know and it's just yeah it's light and it has like the brick red tires and stuff so well done Yes. Is this because you ate a lot of uh, food yesterday? Yeah. Is it like guilt biking today? No, I ate so many cheese-filled little smokies. (laughs) 
Then um, Lisa made like a seven-layer dip, so I had a bunch of seven-layer dip. Then Kelsey brought over potato salad. Excellent. So I, it was just like constant like carbohydrates the entire time. That good for you. Cookies. It was good. All right. Oh, I think this might be Amanda Moyer. All right. Let's uh, welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from the CNN Radio Center in Atlanta. Uh, it's Amanda Moyer joining us now on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Hello, Amanda Moyer. How are you? I am well today. How are you? I'm fine. Uh, I'm sorry. I apologize if you called earlier and, and somehow went into auto hold. Uh, I guess our phones have, there's some glitch that has occurred in just the last, since last week where we don't see people who are on that second line. So sorry about oh. that if you were on hold earlier. Okay. And were you? Yeah, I was. Oh, I'm no. That would be like a jerk. I'm sorry. N- normally, if we're talking to somebody on the warm line and then somebody else is calling in, it appears sort of in a hold bank and then we can see it. Oh, I but thought I, maybe you were just on with Lisa for so long. No, well, we well we were, but largely because we didn't know you were calling in. So anyway, my apologies. I guess over the last couple of days we've had some glitch with the phone. We're going to try to get that fixed. So I apologize. Um, are you? Am I keeping you from getting on an airplane? No, my flight is in about an hour. Right. But I am at the airport. Sorry that the sound is going. That's okay. Hey, so. Um, I don't even know what there is to say about yesterday, except to say that it was really pretty astounding. This is a couple years in a row that the Super Bowl, the actual game, has ended up being pretty gripping. That's right, and uh, it's hard to believe that uh, it could top last year, but uh, I think many people think that uh, last night's game did top last year, and uh, the Steelers pretty much led the entire game, and then uh, about halfway through the fourth quarter, the Cardinals came back and and scored. They came back from a 13-point deficit Mm -hmm. to take the lead. That's unbelievable. It does does not happen in in the Super Bowl to come back by that much. And then with just 35 seconds left, Pittsburgh ended up scoring and giving them the win, 27-23. I mean, it was really, as I said earlier, you know, there was that 100-yard return, which everybody thought was, I mean, which is astounding, which is a record, but it's an indicator of how gripping the actual end of the game was that by the end of the game you had sort of forgotten about that. It got overshadowed a little bit, which is, I mean, it's still great, but it's, yeah, I guess it's a, it, it is an indicator that the whole thing was worthwhile because sometimes, you know how it is, you're watching the Super Bowl and it's like after halftime your interest just goes down exponentially with every passing minute, but not so last night. No, not at all. And like you said, that play, the, that 100-yard return came at just at the end of the second half. At the half. So you would think that was the – people were saying that was the momentum changer. That was giving right. Pittsburgh even more momentum going into the halftime show. But uh, like you said, nobody really thinks about that now because all that matters is the last half of the fourth quarter. Indeed. All right. Uh, for you, what was, the, uh, what was the highlight of the uh, – what was the highlight of the whole day, the highlight of the whole event? Oh, the whole event – um, I'd have to say I, I really think just being there and being so close and, and seeing it all up in, pers- in person was the highlight. Um, I, I I'm not really a fan of either team, but uh, it, it was very interesting to to at least have an exciting game in front of you if you're not going to um, be rooting for a team. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. I will let you, uh, I don't know, uh, do whatever it is one does in the hour before one's flight. So travel safe, and we will uh, talk to you uh, when you are back in the South. <laughs> Thank you. All right, thank you. Amanda Moyer, ladies and gentlemen. There you go. From Tampa, Florida, at an airport. All right. <laughs> it didn't go as well as I think other days do. What? Well, she's just, I mean, she's obviously doing a thing, and she's mm-hmm. distracted. And there's a guy, like, in the background going, no, 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 unattended luggage. Hey, let me ask you this. Whenever you're at an airport and you have to uh, walk, like, three feet away to plug something in. I'm usually you... drunk, so I, I don't know. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> no, 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 at no. airports, you know my fear of flying. So by the time I get to the airport, I already have my McDonald's cup full of vodka. <laughs> and I'm trying not to cry because I know I'm getting on a plane. What? 
I like how you're not worried about crying because you're, in fact, clutching a McDonald's tumbler full of vodka. Oh, no, no. I'm, I'm fully at peace with my phobia. It's aerophobia. Is that what we're calling it now, a phobia? <laughs> yes. It's not a disease anymore. It's a phobia. <laughs> All right. I'm afraid of being sober. It's just crippling. All right. We should go out on that. Uh, back after this, Chuck Knopf. Don't go anywhere. It's the Rick Emerson Show. the Rick Emerson radio program. It's 503-733-2970. Thank you for coming along here in just a moment. We'll welcome our good friend Chuck Knopp to the uh, program. Later on, we have a senior radio correspondent, James Roop. Also, Peter Carlin at uh, 205. We'll talk about the Super Bowl, Springsteen, etc. Uh, today, we'll have, uh, we're going to do this uh, every weekday uh, this week. So uh, today, uh, all the way through Friday, we're going to do a... Uh, an undead uh, survival question of the day. Uh, that is in preparation for the newest uh, installment of CBS Radio Theater, which comes up this Sunday featuring a brand new episode of AZ, uh, as well as the premiere of Kimmy Waters and the Songbirds of Sing Sing, which is a detective noir radio drama set right here in the Rose City. So that's coming up this Sunday. So today's zombie question, don't call about it now, don't email about it now. Think, ponder, ruminate, uh, query with inside your own head, uh, and then... Uh, you know, and then uh, you know, but wait on it. So today's zombie question is: Is or is not Costco an appropriate refuge from zombies? Is or is not Costco an appropriate refuge from the living dead? Be pondering it now. Don't be calling on it now. It's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. I also got to talk about this uh, Kirk Cameron thing and um, so forth. All right, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, Chuck. Not hello, sir. Hello, Rick. How are you doing? I'm fantabulous, sir. Yeah, I know. You look good. You look great. Well, thank you very much. And, <laughs> and, and then the lovely Sarah X. Dillon. Hello, Chuck. How are you? Good. Hey. I'm really glad that you like my bike as much as I do. I, she's got a bike sitting in here, and yeah. I, I, which is odd to find one in a radio studio. <laughs> she's, well, because everybody at a radio station is typically pasty or fat or both. Well, CBS <laughs> is strange because there are yeah, bicycles and like, animals running around everywhere. It really is. I mean, it, it, it's kind of like this weird... I don't know. It's like the last days of the Roman Empire meets Lord of the Flies meets like a really unkempt uh, frat house somewhere meets like a homeless shelter in this place, which I say with love because that's what gives it the distinct CBS flavor. But um, but Sarah, I believe is I don't even think I don't even think Court bicycle today from a KUFO, and he's typically a pretty. Good I just bicycle. felt so squishy after yesterday. I'm like, you know what? All I did was like, oh, and I also ate. Safeway Chinese food. Mmm. Mmm. Sodium. I, I love it so much. <laughs> it I is. had a, a big thing of Safeway Chinese food on top of like all the little smokies and the seven layer dip and and the potato salad. Let me just say this. You know what I uh, you know what I will buy at Safeway a lot? It's not the Chinese food, but I'll do this. I'll go to Safeway and then they have I mean I was just, I was about to apologize and say like look I know it's but I mean, who am I fooling? I'm just a hick. So I will go to Safeway and I'll buy it's like the um they're not chicken nuggets, but it's like the plastic it's like the snap together plastic tub of like chicken tenders that have already, that are already like, but you don't have to cook them. Like all you have to do is heat, because mm. there's a difference between heating and cooking. And so it's like they've already been cooked. All you have to do is like they throw them in the microwave and then and then just sit on the sofa and feel your ass become spongy. <laughs> so that's that's I, and it's like the thing is I. It's like what they teach you in home ec or consumer ed or whatever they call it now, that you're never supposed to shop while you're hungry. Because when you shop while you're hungry, it's just, everything you see seems like the best idea ever. And plus. When you are shopping while hungry, you also do that thing of vastly overestimating the amount of food you're going to be able to ingest. So you end up buying 
three things of chicken tenders and like a tombstone pizza plus a box of honeycomb and honeycomb cereal and like three fruit pies and a soda. And then you go home and you get halfway through the first thing of chicken tenders like, I don't feel so good. And then you spend the rest of the night laying on the bed wishing that you were dead. I mean, if you're me. So, so that's a thing I do. Also, final observation uh, before we get to the actual news here. The difference between heating and cooking is further illustrated by the fact that I was talking to Sarah the other night, and this is, I think, on Wednesday or Thursday or something, and I called you or you called me about something or other, and there was this sound... Are going to make fun of me? I'm not going to make fun because I do the same thing. I just talked about buying chicken tenders by the pound and then heating them up and then eating them by the pound. Okay. Because uh, I, I don't do any of that, like... Because uh, sometimes you'll be in line at the supermarket and somebody will be buying something, and it's obviously just for them, but they feel compelled to make up a story for the clerk about how they've got a friend waiting at home for, you know, uh, no, so I got a party happening to, tonight, so I need to buy, um, I need to buy this See, and I hate, crate I of ding dong. Stigma that's attached to even like me being a single lady, and it's like I want to go and buy a bottle of wine and some Morning Star corn dogs. Yes, I'm like, and that's what I'm gonna consume. That's what I like. It's like, don't look at me as if that's sad because this is my life. And you know, what I think is sad is sitting in your kitchen for two hours. You know, like. Milking your baby and, you know, like having, <laughs> like, your animals running around and stuff. I don't know. Whatever you do, don't stand in your kitchen for whoever's milking your baby. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, what How I How much want... milk will we get out of this baby? I don't know. Let's take a few hours. Oh, see. I'm just like, you know, all these, like, mothers look at this, look and shake their head. And I'm just like, this is what I'm going to consume. I'm not going to sit there and buy all these, like, vegetables I know will just rot in my <laughs> refrigerator. I know I said I was going to move on here in a second, but I got to, <laughs> we have to, let me ask you this. Two things. One. Well, oh, first I know of all, you eat like me. oh, I totally do, and I and by the way, I am right there on the buying vegetables or having vegetables around. No, it's a waste. It's a waste of money. I, I find it to be like. I mean, it's like I might as well skip the bottom of the page, just eliminate the middleman, and just buy the vegetables at Safeway, but then pay them to throw them away for me because, like, what am I going to eat them? The vegetables I eat come in um, prepackaged bags. Well, and God, you know, Lara, God, God love her. She tries to help me eat healthfully because she loves to cook, and that's she likes to do it in and of itself. It's not like I'm not like I'm some guy like, and my wife's going to make me dinner, as is her pl- in a accordance with prophecy like like she she enjoys cooking so she'll do it for me uh sometimes you know she's around and she'll make something that is both uh, good and good for me but sometimes bless her she'll buy some vegetables and she, if she knows she's going to be working or if she has like a lot of stuff that's going on that week she'll buy some vegetables she's like look i'm not going to be around to make dinner but but just so you know She's like, in the fridge. Now, there's some vegetables, and then there's some stuff, and it real easily, you could just put it in a pan, little I oil. I love it how they always try to, like, so it's really easy. And, and I watch it. My friend Lisa does it. She'll be making it, and she's like, hey, look at how easy this is, Sarah. But then, the telling me that it's really easy is like when I'm trying to drive somewhere, and they say, you can't miss it. And, of course, I can always miss it. I will, in fact, miss it. I always miss it. Let's just dispense with this fiction of not being able to miss it right now. Uh, I am the guy who misses it. Also, I'm the guy who can't figure out how to cook anything, regardless of how easy you tell me it is. Because cooking, I do believe this is true. I just thought of this now, but instinctively in my bones, I know it to be a truth. Cooking is like drawing, in that one can either do it or one cannot do it. And now, look, you can learn to draw certain things. You can really study and train and get some sort of rudimentary artistic ability, just like you can learn and train and study and be schooled about how to play the guitar. But you know what? The musical talent is like artistic ability of any kind, and it's like cooking. It's either a thing you can do and you just it sort of is, it is within you, or it ain't. And with me, it is not. Mm. So Laura will say, so, uh, baby, I'm going to be gone all this week. But uh, So now I did buy, I mean, now look, they're not cooked, but I mean, all, all you really have to do is olive oil, and then maybe you just... Um, you know, maybe you just want to, like, um, do a little garlic reduction. and the, the, But that's really easy, too. That That's just, like, three steps. 
uh, and then you just um, I'll show you how to saute really quickly, and then but then you just put it together, and then it's just like 20 more minutes and you're done. And I'm like, and everyone's like, oh no, you can make your own stir fry. Just you know, take out your wok. I'm like, yeah, I don't. Take out your wok. I own one plate. Good for you. One. <laughs> I own one plate. You know what? I don't care. You know, I, got, I I don't need more than one plate. I got like one scorch ass pan that I use for everything. I one pan too. And I got a big wooden spoon spatula pushy thing that I use to stir everything around, to ladle things with. Doesn't matter. Soup. Doesn't you know? It's one. It, it all. It's one utensil that gets used you for know, everything. When I started living by myself, instead of having those utensil separator things, I have just a drawer full of utensils. Good for and you. And I just throw them every time I do it, like empty my dishwasher, just dump them all in there, and they're all in there together, not organized whatsoever. And I find that to work for me very well. So, Lara, uh, Lara, uh, so Sarah and I were talking on the phone last week, and there was like the sound of something in the background, some sort of clattering. And I either asked or you volunteered to explain the noise. And he said, well, uh, you know, I'm actually, I'm cooking dinner. And I said, and this is Sarah, I was talking to her. Sarah goes, oh, I'm cooking dinner right now. And I said, really? What do you mean you're cooking dinner? It's cooking for me. It was like you were telling me your dog was playing the piano. <laughs> and I said, uh, and I said, what do you mean? You go, well, I'm I'm heating, and it was. You said you were making stir fry, but then you revealed it was just like in a bag, and you were having to heat it. It was not. I had to I had to buy the chicken separately. I got the stir fry at Trader Joe's, so I actually cooked the chicken, and then I had the bag of like the noodles and you know the vegetables and stuff. No, I'm just. I made saying. it all by myself. Good for you. Uh, uh, but I always overcook like meat or eggs or anything because I'm afraid that it's not going to be cooked all the way through. That's uh, Lara does that thing of liking everything rare too. So we have to have, and so with the George Foreman grill, like if I, that's the one thing I, that's the one place I will cook. There's two things I used to cook. One, the microwave. Uh, well, there's three things I used to cook. One is Lara. Uh, the other is the microwave, and the third one is the George Foreman grill. Because the George Foreman grill is really pretty easy, actually. You just stick something in there, latch it down, starts cooking away. I come back in like 20 minutes. And I'm like you, man. I cook it to the point of, like, I don't want there to be any sort of, like, no, I'm not going to... any question. Any sort of, uh, you know, trichnosis or whatever lurking. And I'm convinced that everything is filled with trichnosis, because I saw a classroom education film about trichnosis when I was a kid, which I do believe, Chuck, you'll know, this is only in pork, right? Yes. But if I saw it yes. as a kid, it's like... And it was one of those things... Do you remember in Jurassic Park when... Um, uh, when R Richard Attenborough was having them watch the film about how they replicated the dinosaurs, and it's the whole... And what we did is we took dinosaur eggs and we mixed them with frogs or whatever. And there's like the weird DNA strain. We saw a trichnosis film that was just like that, where it was like trichnosis was this huge, like, it was like a hydra. It was like this nine-headed dragon or something. It was just like the freakiest animated depiction of what trichnosis was. And it was always like, and kids, that's why you should always cook your pork chops. And so to this day, I know intellectually it's not true, but in the back of my head, I'm afraid that everything I eat is filled with trichnosis. So I just cook it to a cinder. Um, my final note, and then we'll actually begin the news hour here with Chuck Knopf, who's been very gracious to allow me to talk about very patient. trichnosis here. Um, uh, legendary comics publisher William M. Gaines, who, yeah, yeah. he published Tales from the Crypt, uh, you know, Vault of Horror, and then, of course, went on to publish Mad Magazine. Um, William M. Gaines was, uh, he was a large man. Uh, as Michael Mara would say, he was a man of larger carriage. <laughs> And he was also, he loved to eat, and he, uh, to the point that one might call gluttony, but he was an appreciator of food. He belonged to any number of food and wine societies and so forth, but also he was just a big fat bastard. And he just loved to eat. And William M. Gaines would do this great thing where he would actually go to restaurants, and he would order a table for two, and he would 
the, the waiter would come over and go, what will Monsieur be having this evening? And Gaines would say, uh, well, you know what, uh, my friend uh, is running a few minutes late, so, uh, but, you know, I'm going to have whatever, and then, uh, you know, I'm going to have the spaghetti, and then my friend is going to have the rigatoni, and so uh, he'll be here in a few minutes, but I can go ahead and order for him. And so then the waiter would eventually just, like, bring both dishes, and Gaines would quick, like, quickly eat them both. <laughs> and then the waiter would come back, and Gaines would be like, the guy was here, but then he had to leave. It's, uh, he was bit, and he would do this repeatedly. He would go to restaurants, and he would order both place settings of food, and then just explain that the waiter just missed his friend who was there. So that is a benchmark for when you know that you've gone too far. So as long as you're not doing that, it doesn't matter. You eat all the pretzels you want. All right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, let us begin with the news sounder, this, the news. And now, from the CBS Radio Center in downtown Portland, this is the news. And good morning, good afternoon, and hi, Rick. Hello, Chuck. How are you today? <laughs> I'm good, actually. You Pop- seem good. You seem jocular today. Um, Chuck has always been amazing spirits. You uh, really are. You're always happy. What's up with that? Um... My demons have been exercised. Really? I just ran them around the block. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Wow. Let's get to the news, okay? Yes. <laughs> I concur. <laughs> Punxsutawney Phil says, to keep cold weather gear handy, the groundhog emerged from his hole today in the small Pennsylvania town. He saw his shadow. Uh and Groundhog Day. Doesn't he? I mean, I, I can't believe we're talking about this, but doesn't he always see his shadow? When no. is the last time he didn't see his shadow, Chuck? Out of the last... 100 years, he has seen his shadow only 15 times. So usually he doesn't, which says, if you don't, spring is around the corner. If I remember him saw last year. Is that true? Yeah. I guess it must be, because I guess in my memory, it's always like set to the default as he always sees it. This is another one of those things that some alien race is going to, they're going to be doing like an archaeological dig here, and they're going to think that Punxsutawney Phil was some sort of spirit god that we worshipped. You know, that they had, apparently this village had a small uh, groundhog uh, that they worshipped as a deity. Actually, it's a myth from Germany back in the 1500s. It's part of a a, a mole-like animal sees a shadow or doesn't see a shadow, and it's a predictor thereof of spring and the severity of the rest uh, rest of winter. Because Pennsylvania, what, Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania? Yes. Is Pennsylvania, that's all uh, German folk that's or something? German, or yeah. Dutch or There's some, some Dutch in the... Uh, uh, York area up, up north, but uh, it's 65 miles northwest of Pittsburgh, and, you know, the Pittsburghers are... You know, here's the thing. If you lived in Punxsutawney, do you suppose that you would just never tell people that? Or, like, if you were from there? Like, if you were from... I forget who made this observation, but it's like it's like going to Kent State. Do you suppose that yeah. you would just skip that part? Where'd you go to school? Kent... Uh, WSU? You know, because as soon as... You know, Kent State, and they go... Uh, anybody try to shoot you? No, I was just curious because I I know that I mean oh that sucks you know I growing up I'm not trying to equate Kent State with Punxsutawney Phil but I'm just saying <laughs> if you were from Punxsutawney it's like it's like the guy being named Michael Bolton it's like you know you got like a 15 minute you know conversation but yes Groundhog no it's, no I didn't meet Bill Murray really no I, Jesus you know and then you're just gonna start lying and saying you're from Akron or something yeah the uh, the obligatory thing seriously um, all right I think Kristen Bowie's boyfriend is from Punxsutawney so I think she was obliged to go there last year for this uh, nonsense mm-hmm. all right, here's Chuck Knopf ladies and gentlemen well the Super Bowl telecast drew a smaller audience than it did last year but still managed to be television's most watched event of the year the early ratings were down about six percent compared to 2008 what does that mean that means NBC's got to rebate some money because you, they promise a certain amount of ad or uh, audience. Cough it up. And if that audience doesn't show up to television screens across the country, they have to rebate the promise. And that's a weird thing about television, too, that people don't know. When Yeah, when you are selling TV ad time, 
uh, yeah, you, you sell the ad time to the sponsors based on that you're going to get a certain number of viewers. And then if you don't, you've got to pay back the difference. Yep. So that's a so you ever wonder why TV stations just twist themselves in knots to get viewers? It's because if you sell, like a, if Sarah has like a flapjack house and I sell her, you know, advertising and I'm like 10 million people are going to watch. The ads are going to cost whatever. And then only 6 million people watch. Yeah, i got to pay you back mm. the prorated difference. So that's why there's such... Let's do the blatant pandering that always happens in television because it's like get those viewers by any means necessary. Exactly. It surprises me that the ratings were down though. Uh, I, it surprises me too because they had a rating of 90 million. That's almost one out of every three Americans were watching. I'd say that's pretty good. I would. Here's the other reason it surprises me because you figure that you would figure that maybe some of the time when the rating goes down from year to year, it's because as the game goes on, it becomes less interesting yes, and people exactly. tune out. Not the case uh, yesterday. It remains... Stupid. Or last year. They had a real good uh, finish. And this year, the finish was phenomenal. Yeah, it was gripping all the way through. So, so I don't... Where does the audience go? I don't know. Maybe, maybe television, maybe uh, a close game is not as compelling anymore because maybe people think that, oh, it's, it's going to be close. I don't know. Because they, they had Springsteen and they had the whole... And you think that also yesterday that people would be calling their friends and they'd be like, dude, no, you got to turn it back on. No, it's yeah. fantastic. Hey, here's a question. Other I wonder about this. Um... So I wonder to what extent, here's an interesting thought, I wonder to what extent Super Bowl parties impact the ratings in that there's like 50 people in one house as opposed to uh, 50 people in 50 houses watching the game. Exactly. I think they say households, what's H-U-T, households using television. Something. That's what that that is the rating they're looking at. That's an interesting, I've never really thought about that. I wonder, I wonder to what extent... TV ratings for things like the Super Bowl are unreliable because they are not taking into account the fact that there's 70 guys in the room mm-hmm. watching right. it. Yeah, because right. I was watching it with like 10 people yesterday. That, which is as opposed to like whatever, like Seinfeld or something, where there was just like you typically you're sitting there watching it by yourself right. or whatever. That's an interesting. So I, I would like to see some sort of an analysis of that. I'm wondering what the average uh, average viewership in an average house, how many people were using the television? Hmm. Especially with like TiVo because they now do like TiVo. Ratings too, yeah, where it's like the do. most TV moment, the most replayed moment, whatever. So, all right. Yeah, they do, they do, they do. Uh, you must have heard about Comcast. One of our fine advertisers. Yes, Chuck. and I will be very careful with kid gloves on. Comcast continued this morning to investigate how pornography interrupted its feed during the final quarter of yesterday's Super Bowl game. It's unclear how many viewers were affected by the clip. This was in uh, Tucson, Arizona which lasted about 30 seconds. Uh, We are mortified at last evening's Super Bowl interruption. That's according to Comcast, which they should be mortified. Apparently, it was a uh, a pornography channel called uh, Club Jenna. Is that a Jenna Jameson? You know, somebody told me she actually lives in Tucson, too. Oh, it would make sense. So, well, you know, in Tucson, look, Tucson's not a very exciting place. Yeah. You need you need entertainment in Tucson. Now, could could the interjection of pornography in the final moments of the what Super you, Bowl oh, interjection? I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> the, the injection. I thought you said something else. I'm not. No. Right. Would that would that could that that been a ploy to get a higher rating? That would that would encourage repeat viewing. I would think. We're waiting for the porn. Where is it? Yes. Of course, people are only watching two minutes at a time, though, so... Exactly. All right. Here's Chuck Knopf. Okay, despite a near collapse that required $45 billion in federal taxpayer bailout funds, Bank of America sponsored a five-day carnival-like affair just outside the Super Bowl this past week <laughs> as uh, President Obama declared wasteful spending on Wall Street. And this is part of the deal. They say uh, the NFL experience, which usually accompanies the Super Bowl, 
850,000 square foot sports games, interactive entertainment attractions, and all kinds of stuff rolled into one. And apparently the Bank of America, who got the money, said thank you for the taxpayers' money, part of your money, Rick. Yeah, that's great. And that's they wonderful. said that it's about $10 million. We'll take that, and we are going to participate in this promotional thing, which limits the... Not everybody gets to see it. Well, you know, and, and this is the thing. I was, I was trying to pitch this all last week to the CNN people, and they just they don't see... I think sometimes they don't see my genius, Chuck. That's really the problem. That's the problem, as with most people. They just, uh, someday uh, when I'm dead, they'll say, no, 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 we really should have. Are you drinking a two-liter bottle of soda? I am. Diet Pepsi. Just love it. <laughs> You're drinking directly out of a two-liter soda yes. bottle. Yes. It's been common practice since, oh, gosh. It's part of my... Uh... But it's zero calories? Yeah, zero calories, but it's got the caffeine, and that's what I'm here for. Okay, well, good for you. And then, I mean, I mean, really, I mean, at least you know, I admire a man who knows what he wants. By the way, the sound you hear right now is the sound of Mike Everhart, uh, you know, sort of tensing up as he sees that getting near the board. Oh, I'm not going to tell Everhart that I'm not going. I know all about how he's a former uh, uh, chief what? engineer where we worked. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to remember. I'm going to. Oh, I remember. We'll tell that story in a bit. I'm making a note. Um, anywho. That's uh, the biggest thing of so. And that's what I'm saying. I mean, look, I'm not passing judgment. I'm saying typically you don't see. Did you see all the uh, commercials, Super Bowl? Did you see all the Pepsi commercials? I did. Yeah. Bob Dylan one broke my heart again. Yeah. Let me just say, though, that typically people are a bit more discreet. Uh, and if they're going to bring two liters of soda, they find a glass or a smaller like bottle. A, I don't like a glass. I like. No, I mean, I admire your honesty, really, and the fact that you're just going to screw it. I'm drinking directly from the bottle. Yes. You know what it is? It's like somebody who just drinks right out of that gallon of milk. Good for them. You know? It's fine. I get to do it. There, you're an adult. I, Chuck, I, you can do what you I, wish. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. Um... <laughs> What were we just? Oh, so I was trying to pitch this idea to the CNN people. I was saying that you know there's a recession and de downturn in the economy and so forth, and what they ought to do. I know. Look, here's the thing. I know what kind of news stories the American people are interested in. I know what people like to see. I really do. And what Americans like is what is commonly referred to uh, in the media as red meat. Also, Americans like to blame people for things. Americans always like to have somebody at whom they can point the finger. CNN or somebody ought to have done a piece where they just list all the companies advertising during the Super Bowl, find out how much money those commercials cost, and then they find out how many, uh, you know, if any of those companies had to lay people off in the last six months because they, quote, couldn't afford to pay them, you know? So you find some company like, you know, whatever, Blah 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 Incorporated, had to fire a bunch of people, you know, because we don't have any money, and yet they're buying like a $3 million Super Bowl commercial. I'm amazed that nobody's done that story because that's the sort of thing that would get a lot of traction on the interweb because everybody pass it around because people like to find someone that they can be angry oh, at. That's bad PR too for that I know. company. That'd kill them. I mean, I just I generate all this, uh, you know, all these ideas. And nobody, nobody listens. All right, well, it's Chuck Knopf. Well, Rog Rod, rather <laughs> this Blagojevich, you know the. It's a difficult man. The idiot from he's a difficult man too. <laughs> the idiot, the governor, former governor of Illinois. He's the a best part is how you said idiot twice and then felt like you should correct yourself and say governor. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I the guess, one just overwrites the other. I guess he could be just plain idiot. Well, I guess he's, we don't have to call him the governor anymore, do we, or is he still there? He's a former governor. Anyway, he's a hot item uh, as a TV show guest. Um, Chicago Tribune reports uh, former, the former governor will appear tomorrow night with Letterman. Now that, now that, that is must-see television. I'm going to send my TiVo to record it right now. No <laughs> lie, I'm going to TiVo.com. Uh, he'll be the. It'll be the first public appearance for Blago, as they call him, since a press conference outside his home after he was ousted. No one calls him Blago. Uh, Blago sounds like some sort of a Russian clown. It does. <laughs> Hello, kids. I am Blago. 
Blago would be sort of a clown that you get in the Eastern Bloc countries, but it's like he doesn't have a costume, and his whole family was murdered. And, you know? And he's a tremendous and he's, alcoholic. And seriously, and he's just holding a bottle of, of vodka, and then he occasionally beats children with it. You know, Hello, welcome to Blago's house of fun. Blago's whole family was imprisoned in Dacha and then starved in Siberia. Blago hate everyone. And then he just drinks, and then they just go to static. Now more fun with Blago Clown. Uh, let's see here. Online schedule. Oh, you are programming. I not no lie. I'm, I didn't know you could do that online. Oh, dude, you can. No, do, it's never theater of the mind here. The, the TiVo will do everything for you. All right, really? There we you go. Just say I need to watch. Uh, I'm doing it right now. Letterman uh, Blagojevich. Really? I, I did it the other day because Chris Paddock told me there was a thing on CBS or on CBS on PBS about um, an ongoing thing about American comedy, and they had a whole thing about satire. Right, right, right. Make them laugh. I haven't watched it yet, but I but he told me and I'm like immediately. Uh, I said I got to go online and take that. Um, so Blagojevich, I like that guy, though I really do. Did you see that photo I of him signing that chick's rack? <laughs> no, somebody sent it to me, but I never opened what? it. Seriously, there's, it was, I don't know if it was like outside the actual impeachment, whatever, you know, when they finally said like, look, you're out. But he left some event on, uh, Thursday and there's a photo, I think it was at Gawker or something of him like signing some chick's bosoms outside. And you kind of go like, but you know, when the guy becomes just that ridiculous, you kind of go to go like, okay, good for you. You know, I mean, he, like he's just, it's just so insane that you almost have to just respect him because he's not even pretending to be reputable. Right. He's not even pretending to be normal or like decent or, I mean, he's signing a woman's breasts outside of his impeachment hearing. I mean, it's just, it does seem like something you'd see in another country. Like, like it does seem like a Borat thing, right? Almost. Where... So anyway, so good for him. I mean, I you know, I uh, I like him. Uh, CBS treading into potentially controversial reality TV territory again. The network has ordered a new series from the producers of Top Chef that uh, puts lovelorn singles into arranged marriages. The show introduces four adults aged approximately uh, 25, 45, who are anxious to get married and have been unsuccessful in trying to do it. So they get set up on TV. That is fantastic. By the way, uh, Sarah, do you have that photo of the... Uh... <laughs> he is, and he's, he's, he's right-handed. There he is. <laughs> <laughs> he is right-handed. Unbelievable. The, uh, that's an admirer there. Um, wait, this is Letterman uh, today or tomorrow? Tomorrow. tomorrow. Right, hold on. Late show with David Letterman. 1130. Uh, Tonight's Steve Martin, by the way. Is it? Uh, let's see. Here we go. So that would be... Uh, what is today? Today is the second? Oh, he's doing another like horrible third. Panther movie, isn't he? Who? Yeah. Steve Martin is? Steve Martin. You know... So awful. Let me ask it makes you, me cry inside. Do you remember when Steve Martin was funny, Sarah? Yes. Okay, because we occasionally on this program, there'll be somebody well, I don't who remember, sucks. So I still haven't seen like the jerks. I don't remember when he was... Funny, like back then. I, but I remember one of the first movies I saw with him, and it was Parenthood. Good, good for you. Yeah. That's funny. Because sometimes yeah, that is a funny movie. We'll occasionally have somebody on the show that we're, you know, we're talking about somebody, and Sarah doesn't remember when they were good. Oh. Like when they didn't. Like on Friday, we were doing this thing about Little Richard, and I was trying to point out that there was a time when Little Richard wasn't like a yeah, horrible exactly. caricature All of I himself. Know is the, yeah, the parody no. of yeah. himself. There was a time when he was sort of dangerous, when he was this unhinged kind of holy roller rock and roll guy. But anyway, uh, yeah, Steve Martin tonight, Blagojevich tomorrow. Okay, there you go. Already set my Tebow has said it. So you were just saying uh, you moved from Blagojevich to what were you just talking about? CBS has got an arranged marriage show yes. coming. Now think about that for a second. Now okay. do we get to arrange the marriage? Do we get to vote? Apparently that's how it's like going to work. I've, skipped, I've already skipped past the outrage to wondering if I can do it. So the 
What does it have details? Well, it, they they say the rest of the details uh, are under wraps, but the title has been revealed, and it's called appropriately arranged marriage. Excellent. You know, now think about this for a second. You end up, you you want to find a bride, you or a groom, depending yes. on gender, and you think I want the person of my dreams who has some kind of uh, balance with me, who we uh, see things similar similarly. Yes. And then all of a sudden you go on the show and you. You you are forced by probably audience participation of that partner, and I'm thinking this is insanity. Well, is it? But is it going to be one like of those... my first marriage? You know, it was the same thing. <laughs> sort of. A, well, I guess we don't have any choice. Your dad's got a gun, yes. so so we better. I I do love you. I've just realized it. Is it going to be one of those things where like they don't know the premise of the show though, where they think it's like a regular. You know, where they think they're on there for, like, some regular, like, uh, you know, like, a this is your life thing, and then suddenly, oh, no, no, you're being forced to marry, you know, whoever, and then it's just some person. They have not released any All details. Right. This is just one of those. Uh, they they raise the flag and see if radio people will read about it. Uh, done and done. Here's the thing, and let me just say for the record, I am all for CBS doing this. I am a company man. I'm a proud, uh, everyone must row in the same direction, as I would say, so I endorse anything that CBS wishes to do. Of course. If CBS just decides they want to start, you know, just a, a channel where they show nothing but baby seals being clubbed, that's fine. I'll, I'm <laughs> doesn't matter. I don't care. Whatever whatever brings in money uh, for CBS at this point, I, uh, I have no standards for any of that. By the way, arranged marriage is one of those things that you think like, you don't want to make jokes about it because then somebody will go, you know, that's a cultural stereotype. No lie. Just last week, uh, my wife was telling me uh, that she knows someone in her in her personal life that is in an, an arranged marriage. Really? No lie. It's weird that this story comes up. Last week, Laura was telling me, she's like, and then I was, you know, we went out to dinner with blah, 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 and so-and-so who's in an arranged marriage. And the woman was like telling all about it. How she it was the whole she's from I don't know some country where they do that. Uh, and it was the thing of like, hey, this is your this is you know your new husband whatever. And then they went off and got married because it had just been decided that they would. So I guess those things still exist, which I didn't really think. I thought that was a I thought it was I think we'd phased out in most countries. Well, I did not think that existed. Eastern at all. European, it's common in Eastern Europe, and it's also common in Asia. Yeah. And that's probably... I thought that we just left that behind with, like, foot binding and other things that we realized think, were bad ideas. I would think, but apparently someone still thinks, hey, this is fabulous for the kids. And that person is Les Moonves, Chuck. <laughs> and God bless him. Yes, he is the he's uh, the head man here at CBS. Take a call here. You just sounded like Brent Musburger. I guess we're not talking to this guy who needed advice. On CBS. <laughs> <laughs> Brent Musburger used to do that. And right here on... And he would do it just... Do that one more time. On CBS. You have the voice of... You know what your voice is? Your yeah. voice has calm authority to it. Yeah. It's a, sort of a... Uh, you know, it, it's not like a big fake, like a... Right here on CBS. It's, it's, yeah, it's very... It, exactly. It's very sincere, but it's uh, it's very... Has the ring of authority, but in a sort of soothing kind of a way. Portions of this program were pre-recorded. You... Don't take this the wrong way. You could be that guy who does all of the... Where it's not like a monster truck rally thing, but it's all like the informative... You know, may not be rebroadcast without the express permission of the National Football League and this station or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Uh, we should take a break here, and we'll come back. More around the corner with Chuck Knopf. Later on, CNN Radio correspondent Jim Roop, uh, Peter Carlin from the Oregonian, and uh, more. Plus, we'll announce the winner of the AM970 listener bailout for this week, and so forth. Uh, plus, some more Super Bowl thoughts. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show.
the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970 here with Chuck Knopf. Coming up later on today, uh, from the Oregonian, Peter Carlin, who will weigh in uh, on the Super Bowl. I got like two pages of Super Bowl notes. Well, not two pages, but two. Uh, let's say I got one, two, three. I like it, like nine small Super Bowl observations that we should get to at some point. But first, I just got to tell you, I saw the worst, best thing the other day. Uh, I was at the uh, some office, office something or other. There's Office Depot and Max and something and Staples and whatever. So I was, uh, it was when I was out looking for my day planner. Anyway, so I ended up at that uh, that office supply place that's on um, MLK. And so I'm standing in line and I had the weirdest impulse purchase. And you can, you know, the impulse buy stuff. Is it's like always the stuff that's either at or on the way to the register. And impulse buy stuff is fascinating to me because you can, because they must have arrived at that, you know, like the inventory through some sort of focus grouping or just trial and error and they or they track what sells and what doesn't. Like the one, I don't know if you spend much time at Fry's Electronics, Chuck. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fry's is the best place on earth. I mean, really? It's, they, got, it's like I, a circus. That's what I'm saying. And really, I mean, later on we're going to talk about Costco uh, as a refuge for, uh, during the zombie apocalypse. But I'm saying if you could secure those front windows at Fry's, there's, a, there's an argument to be made for Fry's. Um, it, but Fry's is great because if it's really slow or if there's a lot of people there, it's you get that Disney line that goes from the red. Like I was there. I went to Fry's a couple weeks ago, and I swear to God, I, did, I can't believe I didn't tell the story on the air, actually. So I'll be real brief, and then we'll get back to the news. But I can't believe I didn't tell the story. So I go to Fry's to buy uh, something or other, something for my, my brand-new MacBook, I think. Um, so I'm at, uh, I'm at Fry's, and, like, all the cash registers and the credit processing systems all went down. They, none of their, like, they couldn't scan anything. At Fry's? At Fry's. That Isn't that the weirdest thing? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Like, wouldn't you think that they would have a backup? Like it's some... like when you go to Subway and like, they're out of bread. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And you would think at Fry's they would have some weird secret, like, it can't ever go down, uninterrupted power supply Skynet system mm-hmm. buried uh, under the ground in, like, a granite vault so that they would always have Internet access. So, yeah, so the network access by the registers, the scanners, and the credit card processors at Fry's went down. So they were doing the greatest thing. <laughs> Pardon me. Um, I mean, it did make everything kind of slow, but it was almost worth it because every single one of the checkout registers at Fry's had the same thing. There were two nerds standing there, and one of them would take your product, write it down, shout out the the price, and then they had somebody else right next to them with a legal pad doing all the math, like longhand or whatever, like you know, like with a pen and paper. And so the guy be like, you know, uh, Max Shell, twenty nine ninety nine, Ethernet cable, nineteen ninety nine, uh, box of burnable DVDs, fifty nine ninety nine, and three things of Skittles, ninety nine each. And then nerd number two would be sitting there with a pen, writing it down. It was like watching a mathlete. <laughs> and they would go back, and, and nerd number two would finish the math. He would hand it to nerd number one and go, check me. <laughs> like, and the first guy would go, all right, all right, all right. No, you're good. And so. Like, guy number one shouts out prices. Guy number two does the math. Guy number one checks guy number two's math. Bam, they ring you up. And then they did that thing of, they got that, what is that old, that old ass, like, credit card thing where they put it and they go, and, and they slide the they thing. Slide and it, so that imprint, it's an imprinter. It imprints it. Yeah. I was thinking, though, you know what it would have made it even better? Just even for show, they should have had a third guy standing behind them working the abacus. I mean, <laughs> that really wouldn't, wouldn't that have been great if you were at Fry's and, You're like, right. If the, I'm sorry, the cash register is down, but we've got uh, Bob on the abacus and a guy back there just pa 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 back Fries, and forth. The abacus savvy store. It's just, I mean, just in terms of imagery, it would have been great. So, but the line was just forever. So I got to really take in all of the uh, the impulse items because it's like they get the whole row of impulse. How many did you end up with? 
Many. Uh, <laughs> I bought three tins of poppycock, mm. which is really good. Matt Pearson loved poppycock. I it's... remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Does he now? Is no, that how it is over there? have the big things of poppycock that he'd bring in. Never mind. You're going to make everything I say sound bad. <laughs> Get it out of the ditch here. <laughs> Matt Peterson loves poppycock. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anywho. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dessert. Poppycock, right? It's the I thing know. in the tin. It's like a caramel. And I know Matt Peterson, too. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I was at the office place. <laughs> The office place, and they had the weirdest impulse uh, item. It was at the cash register, and it was a movie, it was a DVD, it was a film. It was a film I'd never heard of. But then you start wondering, a, I mean, really, there's no B. You just wonder why is this film? And this wasn't at Fry's. This was like an Office Depot. So there's a limited amount of space. So like the woman's ringing me up for the, the day planner, and there's not much room. There's room on the left for like a few rolls of candy, and then on the right, and this is not like. Uh, in the aisle, this is directly next to the cash register. It's right by the thing where you type in your PIN number. So this is a place where you can only pick one item to have as your point of purchase display, uh, you know, your your impulse item. Here's what they have. They have a DVD. It is the movie Fireproof, starring Kirk Cameron. And is it about Jesus? Well, of course, because it's got Kirk Cameron. That's implied. Is it about Jesus and computers? <laughs> Why would it be about Jesus and computers? <laughs> oh, because it's at the proof. office supply store? Yeah. No, no, no. This, here's what it is. It's, the movie's called Fireproof, starring Kirk Cameron, on the front cover. I don't know anything about this. I didn't even pick it up to read the back. I know everything I need to know about this movie for the front cover. Fireproof, starring Kirk Cameron, and the front is two different scenes separated by, like, you know, a dividing line or whatever. Scene number one, no, but it's like, you know, how this, the front of the DVD is sort of, the picture's kind of cut in half, so they can show mm-hmm. two different scenes. Scene number one is the silhouette of a firefighter, presumably Kirk Cameron, running into a burning building with an axe. Scene number two is Kirk Cameron kissing a woman. And then the tagline is, for, for Fireproof with Kirk Cameron, the tagline is, never leave your partner behind. Oh, my God. I read about this movie on the Internet, uh-huh. and Kirk Cameron... Um, when he was filming that movie, he was required on the movie set to kiss someone other than his wife, and they had, and he refused to do it. So I they had that. his yeah. wife come in for the kissing scene. Yeah. Rachel, there were like stunt lips, and they were his wife's stunt lips because he refused to kiss anybody else. He's like, <laughs> are my you wife kidding me? me? I no. heard that too. Yeah, just for a movie kiss. You know, boy, Jesus makes you dull. Really, I mean, I, look, I mean, if it makes you a happier person, then God bless you. But boy, wow. You know, it's like uh, it's like I would say about uh, guys who make movies. You know, filmmakers who have kids. Suddenly, all your movies, all your movies have to have happy endings, mm-hmm. and often they involve flubber. And then just and then and then no one wants to see them anymore. And it just seems like it does seem like there is a balance. Don't get me wrong. Not like I'm down. I'm not going to be down on religion. I'm just saying there's a balance, right? And but it's like because as the ratio of like Jesus having to permeate everything in your life goes up, like. Like, the fun in your life just sort of mm-hmm. seems to go down. Like, there is a sort of, like, you could find a stasis, as they say. I mean, and that's his job. He's been acting since he was young. That just seems like it says more about their relationship than anything else. Yeah. Anyway, well, there you go. So, uh, that's, but if you want to get that, that's at the office uh, supply place on the uh, on Now MLK. I have to watch it. Never leave your partner behind. <laughs> I mean, it's like all you need to know about it is right there on the cover. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, with more news, Chuck Knopf on KCMD Portland. Salem police are reporting close to 50 cases of thieves breaking into coin-operated washers and dryers in area apartment complexes. You know the economy's bad when that happens. Oh, they're stealing the change? Yeah. They're not stealing the actual They're not stealing the, the washer machines, and dryer. Like scrap or they're taking the change. Damage to pry open. They're prying open coin boxes. You know, they're huge. Right. From multiple machines and uh, damages up to 500 bucks are done on those machines. And of course, the, I love taglines on, on stories like this. Police are investigating. <laughs> police are investigating, which I don't mean to knock the police. They have a hard uh, job. Lot, but the thing is, there's just too much crime for too few people. So police are investigating just means police aren't, aren't probably investigating all that. It's like, you know, it's like when my car gets stolen, you know, every time. And like they, you know, the woman will come to my house and she'll be like, well, we'll, uh, We'll put it in the system, and you know we'll we'll see what comes up. And that's just, and I know the deal. That just means like we're gonna wait for it to turn up, like in a ditch, and then they'll call me or whatever. That it, it surprises me now that that actually isn't happening more often. I hadn't thought about that because we have all these stories about guys stealing metal stuff and then taking it to the scrapyard, right, but you're right. only gonna get like forty bucks. Right. Whereas you could just bust open the coin thing, because you know then the, the the end result of this will be that they're gonna go move to like credit card or like debit card stuff or whatever for like, you know, or they'll just have. Here's what they ought to do. Okay, you know what they ought to do on these washing machines if you're like a landlord or somebody? Uh, they ought to just put a little, uh, not even like a credit card, debit card deal. Just that you can do as much laundry as you want, but you've got to type in like your tenant code, and at the end of the month it just goes on your rent bill. That's not a bad and idea. And then the landlord just back bills you for it. Uh, that would be more convenient. You know what I mean? And you got to do, it's not like you're going to do more or less laundry because of that. Everybody does the same. Look, the amount of clothes you got is the amount of clothes you got. So... You would just type in your tenant code, do the laundry, and then they tally it up, and it just automatically goes on your rent bill. Uh, that's a great idea. Somebody, And then there's no change to steal. Exactly. Uh, you know, and then people aren't busting open the coin boxes or whatever. All right. Yeah. Here's Chuck Knopp, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, by American provision in the president's proposed economic stimulus measure is drawing criticism from a Federal Reserve member. Uh, Dallas Federal Reserve President Richard Fisher told C-SPAN uh, that, quote, protectionism is the crack cocaine of economics. Okay. Is it really? I don't know. I've never, <laughs> I've never smoked some perfection or protectionism. What does that even mean? <laughs> that it's the I crack think, cocaine. I think it gets you. It, it, it's a, <laughs> it's a knee jerk kind of reaction. You know, we will protect. Oh, it's a quick put, high. We will put tariffs on imports and uh, limit uh, limit those who come into this country to uh, foreigners. To it's a quick in. fix, but it yeah. doesn't really. Uh, yeah, it doesn't in do the anything. long term, it yeah. does not help you. Yeah, All right. exactly. that does make sense. All right, exactly. excellent. Uh, Republicans and Democrats are staking out their positions as U.S. Senate is going to discuss President Obama's massive economic stimulus bill. What is it? 108, what am I saying? 800, $850 billion. Uh, the leading Republican in the Senate is talking about reform. He says Minority Leader Mitch McConnell told reporters his two most important objectives are attention to the housing crisis and tax relief for lower and middle income taxpayers. Obama is trying to woo Republicans to support the plan, which Woo! is an estimated <laughs> there he was Sorry. price tag of about eight hundred billion. I don't know if this is going to work. Actually, I just have some, uh, some doubts. I you're not entirely <laughs> convinced. I don't. Uh, I don't almost really want to ask because it's like I. Not only it's not that I don't care. It's that I almost don't. I I, I don't even really want to talk about it. But I'm here's what I don't understand. And when I say I don't understand something. I have to weigh it sometimes because I know that a bunch of people are going to call up. God bless them. They're just, their hearts are in the right places, but they want to call up to explain it to me, not knowing that, A, I don't care that much, and, B, like, I got a tiny brain and the explanation isn't going to stick. 
My brain is like one big temp file. My brain is like a big, my no, it's my like brain. That. My brain is like a Vic twenty without a tape drive. Yeah. Like you can have a program running, but as soon as you turn the computer off, that that thing's gone. Um, so I don't understand why all the fuss about this eight hundred billion dollar stimulus package, when like we already like we already gave away seven hundred billion dollars to the stupid auto industry and other companies. Right. Like we already did it once. Like what? Why? Why the holdup this time? Like who? You know? In other words, like. If you're going to do it once, you might as well do it twice. What do you, what do you care at that point? I mean, now, some of the Republicans say, "Well, we just can't let them do it this easy. We, we've got to we've got to have some opposition here. There's got to be some struggle." Yes, there. nothing can be easy. If you're fixing the economy, whatever you do, make it make it difficult. Yeah. Make sure that you're an impediment. Well, I heard the other day about a Keynesian analysis. Okay, Lord Maynard Keynes was a mm -hmm. was an economics guy. Okay, and he decided this is how it works. But I heard it explained that nobody knows how the economy works because you can't test it. Oh, that's true. There really is no, there's no there's laboratory. No, there's no test. So the idea is that we used to make $15 billion worth of product, <laughs> and now we're making only $14 billion, or trillion, rather. Uh, so we're a trillion short. So the idea is for the uh, Congress to provide that uh, shortfall. Well, it's like, what, is, uh, what does Martin Sheen say in, uh, in Wall Street, which is a terrible film, by the way? I mean, uh, Wall Street, which I've seen like 50 times, and I watch it every time it comes on, but boy, it's, boy, it's bad. It's, it's like Dexter, where I watch it constantly. Boy, it's terrible, though. It's just awful. And um, Wall Street with Charlie and Martin Sheen and Daryl Hannah and Michael Douglas, same thing. Awful movie. I mean, it's just, it's just so... It's not even just because it's dated. It's just bad. Bad writing, bad acting, bad directing, bad everything. But I watch it constantly. The only good thing in Wall Street, really, is Martin Sheen, because he's just a genius. And there's that great sequence where Martin Sheen and Charlie Sheen are... are um, I think it's in the elevator, and they're fighting about... You know, the union bailout of Blue Star Airlines or whatever the hell. And Martin Sheen says something like, um, or maybe I'm conflating uh, Wall Street in an episode of The Wire. But anyway, there's a scene where he says, like, he said, you know, we, so we used to make something. He said, you used to build stuff. Now it's just people standing around with their hands in another guy's pocket. I and mean, that's all it is, like a big daisy chain of guys, hands in each other's pocket, like looking for a fiver. I mean, as opposed to sort of manufacturing something. I got two things here. Um, one is an idea. One's a bad joke. Okay. Which do you want to hear first? Well, I want Jump, the, go with the bad joke first. Yes, let's do the joke. All right. Um, this is an unfinished joke. It's just, this is, it's in its embryonic. <laughs> this is a joke in its, Funny already. <laughs> it's in its pupae stage uh, right now. So there's Keynesian economics, which yeah. I think is trickle-down economics. Yes. So there's Keynesian economics. Uh... There should be, this is a sex joke, there should be Keynesian economics, <laughs> which is just uh, sort of like a, where you have to hump a lot of people. No, there'd be Keynesian economics, which is where you rate, you see where I'm going there, Keynesian, sex, Keynesian. Sounds like you're trying to parallel park, but the space is too small. Is that accurate? <laughs> Are we still talking about the economy, Chuck? I thought so. Okay. I, I thought so. Okay, that's my bad joke. Kinsey and economics. Assemble your own joke at home from that. <laughs> also, this. Okay, now you know that guy. Uh, what is his name? Will Wright, and he's the guy that created The Sims. Yes. And The Sims, of course, was the the ultimate follow-up to like Sim uh, Universe, Sim World, Sim Roller Coaster, Sim Sim City, Sim City, Sim City Three Thousand, and all these games where you have to you have to basically create a system, an ecosystem, or uh, a, a society, or a city, or a house, or a family, and make it work. Don't you think the time is right for Will Wright to release a sort of a, like a Sim economy, Sim recession? Mm. And and but the deal is like then then the most. This is a great idea, and this really is a great idea. They ought to release a simulation game right now that is an accurate representation of the way the American economy is at this at this instant. Like, 
They don't start you from scratch. They start you from acting. You pick a date, like January 31st, 2009, and you create a simulation game that is actually a representation of where the American economy is at that day, January 31st. They start you from there. And then you get, um, like, an in-game time, you would get five years. But in the real world, you get, like, six months. But you get five in-game years mm. to fix the economy. And then at the end of it, uh, 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 Electronic Arts, which is, I think, the yeah. software company, they would submit uh, the best fix to the economy to the government. <laughs> at the end of it, like the, like the person who fixes the economy the best at the end of six months, they win a prize, and then like your your economic plan gets submitted I to know the government. Barack Obama's so cool, you know, that he'd probably approve something like that. Totally. And the thing is, that would get all kinds of press. Can you imagine the number of downloads that game would get? Can you imagine the amount of... Uh, of 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 online buzz that that game would get. Seriously, that's I created that. Uh, that's mine, and I'm going to sell that to, to to Will Wright and his people. That's a that's a nifty idea. I'm telling you, man, that that yeah, that, yeah. that would be that would be interesting, and that would be a truly viral phenomenon. Yeah, and so then you win like a whole thing at the end, and plus they'll take however you fixed the the American economy in the game. And they'll submit it to the government, the one who has the. And at the end of it, you would rank it, and the, you, and the thing is, you'd have a demonstrable winner. Because you'd look at like gross domestic product, unemployment rates, um, consumer confidence index, all the in-game Price indicators. Oil, all those things would. And, and so at the end, yeah, it wouldn't yeah. be like an arbitrary decision. Like there would be a dollars and cents winner. There'd be somebody who was demonstrably the winner of that game. That's the best idea I've had in like you know, a that's month. That's not any different than actually what economic theorists do. They sit around, but they don't. They don't actually get the hands-on idea of pl plugging all the. Variabilities together. Will Wright should actually create this simulator and then give it to the Fed as like a tool. Here you go. And hopefully never be charged for income tax again. Seriously. And then, yeah, and as a, yeah, the only payoff he wants is like, look, I don't want to pay any taxes. I will take a break. We'll get caught up. Um, come back. More from Chuck Knopf around the corner. The thing is, we're almost, we're more than halfway done. Yeah. I'm not like I'm looking toward the finish line or anything. I'm just saying today's show is zipping right by. Wow. Back after this, more from Chuck Knopf. Steve, uh, I keep saying Steve Kasman, Jim Roop coming up later on, Peter Carlin, and more. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Don't go anywhere. Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Oh, you know what I watched this weekend, Sarah? What did you watch, Rick Emerson? Black Santa's Revenge. And? Uh, it, was, it was genius. It really was fantastic. Is it especially when David Walker's head gets blown off? Yeah, I'm going to watch it again. You, you should. I watch it over again. And I was watching um, Rob Zombie's Halloween yesterday yeah. over at Lisa's house. And the guy who plays uh, Black Santa. Right, Ken Forey. Yeah, he gets yeah, killed in the bathroom. Yeah, I don't really care for Rob Zombie's Halloween. But you know, I want to finish watching it because I have to say I really do like it. But I think, did you did you say that you watched the director's version? I watched Rob Zombie's version, okay, uh, I'm not the, the studio, studio version. version. Yeah, I, maybe, look, maybe the studio version is somehow better. I, yeah, I'm not again. I'm not. I'm not too particular in you know like I'm, I'm a movie snob of some sorts, but. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, whatever entertains me is fine. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, you're in the minority, but it doesn't matter. It's not like I mean, not like you're. You, 
here's the thing, and I mean this in a non-corny way. I'm glad that you like it because uh, you know because life is too short to watch bad uh, movies. I mm-hmm. mean, unless they're unless they're amusingly bad. So if you watch it, more power to. I wish that I had liked it. That's I really am envious because I wanted. The, I really. I mean, we're talking about movies like a year old now, but boy, I wanted to like that movie. I remember watching uh, Zombies Halloween remake and just thinking, all right, it's going to be great. It's going to, ah, crap. Mm-hmm. And then just it wasn't. It's just in my estimation. But they're letting them make the second one. So, I mean, you know. There you hell, go. So, I mean, maybe. The hell do I know? Maybe the director's version is a lot different than the studio version. I did a whole, like, power load of movies this weekend. Uh, so, I got uh, four different things watched this weekend. I got, uh, you know what I finally watched just months after the fact? I watched the third collection of that found footage film festival. Uh, those guys that came to town. Oh, Chuck, yeah. have you heard about this? No, tell me. It's the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. And I got the DVD. They sent us the DVD. But now I, I'm, did too. I am so sold on it uh, that I'm going to go to... Lars. like, we have to go to this the next time it's in town. Did you watch it with the commentary between the videos? Not originally. Originally, we um, just watched the videos and then we went back... Oh, you got to have the commentary. We went back into the commentary. So it's these guys that come... They do this tour every year and they come to town like once a year and they do a festival of about 90 minutes long where they just show literally just found film footage, like stuff that they found at swap meets, garage sales, in a drawer. Um, So it's everything from bad cable access shows to old, like, workout videos to sort of company training films, just all of these films they just found just sitting around that are, like, 20 years old. There was no lie an Angela Lansbury workout video, where at one point (laughs) she's rubbing herself with oil, and saying, like, a woman's sexuality is very important, and it was just so great and awful. Part of it, there's also a um, there's also a training film for Christian clowns, where it's like Clowns for Jesus, and it does, it contains the phrase, clowns in large groups can be unsettling. Mm-hmm. And then it shows a bunch of clowns standing in the street, and then an old guy coming out of his house, seeing the clowns, and then slowly going back in the house and shutting the door. <laughs> what about um, all the sexual harassment ones? Totally. Those were hilarious. We just showed the re- like all the things that you shouldn't do in the office, and it showed people like sexually harassing, like man on man, woman on man. One that's like a guy opening his lunch bag and, hey, help me peel my banana, you know, and it's, it's just, it's fantastic. You're good at that, aren't you? And it, they're all real films, which is what makes it so great. So I watched, we got four things watched this weekend. Found Footage Film Festival. Uh, Black Santa's Revenge, written and directed by our good friend David Walker, who will be uh, on the show later on this week. Um, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, we got seen. Oh, I love that. It was good. It was. I would not say it was great. I would say it was good. Uh, Sarah, uh, Sarah will be. Uh, Sarah will be watching that uh, this week. In the near future, in the in the theater. In the course. theater. Ah. Uh, I would say it's a technical achievement, and I would say that it's. Here's my thing about Benjamin Button. I'm not going to ruin anything. Cause Sarah has yet to see it. I, I just thought it was really long. That, well, see, and I don't mind a long movie as such. As Roger Ebert said, n- no good movie is too long and no bad movie is short enough. So it's not that it was just, like, I don't have a problem with long movies. I'm not that guy. Because some people do. You get people, I don't, uh, that movie was three hours long. Like, I want value for my money. But if a movie is three hours long and doesn't need to be, and my thing about Benjamin Button is, don't get me wrong, it's, I mean, it's a very, very, very well-made film. And visually, it's just stunning, which you knew it would be because it's David Fincher. But it would have made a really fantastic, like, short film. I think it would have made an exceptional short film. It was originally a short story. Yeah, it was a Fitzgerald yeah. uh, yeah. short story. And so they padded it a bit. Yeah, it just... Um, How long is it? Is it like three Two hours, hours and 45 minutes. Oh. But here's the thing. It's, it's, I mean, I would say it doesn't feel like a three-hour movie. Uh, I would also say, though, that it's just... Um, it's good, but it, it's not... All, it could have been... It could have been great. It could have been a masterpiece. It really could have been. I feel so like. Do you think it's like Oscar worthy for Brad Pitt? I think uh, Brad Pitt did a good yeah. job. I'll tell yeah. you this: if it doesn't win, for I don't even know what they did. They do like a digital effects or makeup award or they, they 
Yeah. It's, I will tell you this. Here's the thing about Benjamin Button. No lie. Probably the best makeup slash visual effects in terms of a person. Because you know the deal is he's born old and he ages in reverse. Mm-hmm. It's stunning. I mean, it's amazing. I don't think I have ever seen anything done that well. It. I am not overstating it when I say that it really does take your breath away. Uh, the the visual effects in Benjamin Button, and plus it's just beautiful. I think you, Sarah, will love it because you get a real, you know, you, you get a real visual sense and, and an aesthetic sense. It's a beautiful looking film. It's one of the best looking films I've seen in forever, uh, and that's all David Fincher. But um, anyway, but not a masterpiece. I think it was good, not 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 great. Uh, that and then I got uh, Zombie Diaries watched, which our good friend Keelan sent to us, uh, and I got that watched. Zombie Diaries. Is... Did you finish watching that? My name is Jason. Yeah, I did. That's a that's yeah. okay. That's a little bit of a. You know, when you were saying that you were taking days and days to watch it, I figured that you probably weren't that into yeah. it. Yeah, I it was all right. Uh, Zombie Diaries is good. It's sort of like a Cloverfield, but with zombies. I mean, that's really exactly what it is. It's like four people on the run, and of course, there's the obligatory uh, guy in the group that's like, "I'm filming it all on my handy cam," and and everybody has to yell at him for filming. You know, Bob, I can't believe you're bringing that camera along during the zombie apocalypse. What is wrong with you? And he's like, oh, I know. <laughs> but he has to keep doing it because otherwise there's no movie, which is like the Cloverfield thing. HUD, put down that camera. But not really, because then there's no film. And so that's what that Zombie Diaries is. Still, every time I think about that movie, it still makes me feel creepy. Zombie Diaries, you should not watch this then. Uh, zombie Diaries is... Honestly, I remember like walking up around my neighborhood after I watched Cloverfield and feeling like there could there was an impending monster attack at any moment. Yeah. And I don't I don't think I need to know feel that way about zombies. So that's the thing. Imagine that it's not Godzilla, but just like you turn a corner and there's just some guy kind of standing there with his head tilted, sort of swaying back and forth, and then he sees you and just starts walking towards you, wanting to eat your brains. It's it's a it's an unnerving film. I don't again I don't know. It's a great film. It's sort of a sawed off shotgun of a movie, and it's very blunt, but. Uh, it gets the job done. So I got four. It was a big movie watching weekend at the uh, the Emerson household. Then I saw a couple episodes of Code Monkeys last night, and then all was right with it. And plus the Super Bowl. So, all right, ladies and germs, here's Chuck Knopf. You don't have to be Spider-Man to feel like a superhero. Video game enthusiasts can test their skills with two free online games, patterned after last month's airline crash into the Hudson River in uh, New York City. Of course, all 155 people on board were. Saved because of Chelsea Sullenberger's yes. smooth landing. In Heroes on the Hudson, players will try to steady a plane headed for landing in the New York River. With the game Double Bird Strike, the goal is to keep your plane from hitting the flocks of birds, the suspected cause of January's uh, real-life accident. That is the best thing I've ever heard. That's America in a nutshell right there. It uh, is. You know, but if you do poorly at it, that really won't bode well for the next time you fly. Yeah, but It'll I mean... make you feel too confident. But, uh, you know... And so, wait, so this is... But it's a game... So it's not like a coincidence. This is a game actually based on the Hudson yeah, River. Like, yeah. Okay, by the way, I didn't know about this story when I was given my idea about the economic simulator. This is more proof that my economic simulation game is a great idea because that's a flight simulator that they just have managed to tie into the Hudson River thing by making it that you have to land in the Hudson River. Okay, since the launch two weeks ago, one and a half million. Okay, there's the number. Rick Emerson's a genius. He is. That, right there. Checks, in the, checks in the mail for you. Underscores. Look, i got to know. We, don't you think we know some computer programmer in the audience that, that could hack together a, an economic simulation Absolutely. game? Absolutely. I Really, no lie. I, and I know that I just bump my gums a lot. I think, I mean, that is a flight simulator game. And, you know, Microsoft Flight Simulator, of course, been a cash cow for them for years. That it, a million and a half downloads? Yeah. MTV, and they just... MTV... And the catch is this is this is how it's funded. This is pretty cool. You have to watch a, a commercial before you play the ah, game. Ah, so and you, then you can get the, then you but, get the but game. The trade-off: you watch a 
30 or 40 second ad right. is easy if free game. Yeah. What's right. the deal? So if you're wondering about raising revenue, there's your. That's a fantastic idea. You're and gonna so, be rich. By the way, did any now was it known? It probably wasn't, but was it known at all that they were gonna roll out the flight crew from that uh, plane at the Super Bowl? No, I didn't know that that was gonna happen. I mean, that was pretty astounding. That was a that, that was a thing they managed to keep very hush hush because I didn't. I mean, I didn't. I didn't what did they, I didn't hear about this? Oh yeah, the flight crew from the Hudson plane. Did you not see that? That well, no. man, that was amazing. At the Super Bowl. Was it after halftime? No, it was right right at the beginning. In fact, I think it was before the game even started. Yeah, wasn't I think it? it was part of the pregame. <gasps> oh, like, I missed. You know, that's what I did. I missed the pregame. I, I got there just in time for that. Um, it was great because suddenly, out of nowhere, they're like, "Ladies and gentlemen, the people who landed the Hudson plane, including the captain, who you've never seen before. Look at him now that's here in the cool. Super Bowl." I mean, they've been keeping that guy under wraps. Now you know why. As soon as that pl- as soon as they discovered everybody survived that plane uh, landing. Somebody was on the phone to somebody going, lock him in, five million or whatever. You know, they they must have just they they must have just locked that in instantly. Yeah. Uh, because they they were all standing on the football field and mm. it's like, hey, the guy that landed the plane and everybody else from the plane that's and crazy. It was very cool. And that's what heroes should have. That 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 guy Sully is a bona fide yeah. hero. Oh know? God, boy, how much. How yeah. much better was that moment than all of those horrible Heroes commercials all last night? Mm. Right. Wait, wait, what network is that show on? It's not on CBS, is it? Is Heroes on so. CBS? I would hope not. No, it's on NBC. Okay, there you go. Boy, that, yeah, those commercials were they so annoying. Like the one when they were all playing the football game. God, it was embarrassing. And it the was singing? Just, it was awful. Yeah. It was, and the ones with, for the uh, the medium or whatever her name is, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. 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 No, boy, those Heroes commercials were just... They were just bad, and, and 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 I mean, I kind of I dipped my toe into that show, a few episodes, and then I just kind of went, uh, no, and I quit. There's nothing I have never heard anything. Here's the thing about Heroes. I watched just enough to kind of think to myself, no, I, I life is too short. I'm not investing my time in this. And I'm not saying it's the worst show on earth, but I, but I watched just enough of of that show, a few episodes to kind of go. No, I don't think this is worth like an hour of my life every week. Mm-hmm. And I have since then, I have never heard one thing about that show that has indicated that that was an incorrect decision. Yeah, I started. I tried watching the first season, and and I started watching Lost at the same time. And Lost is is worth it to me every oh. time. It's worth it to me. But yeah, and Heroes just tri- totally trickled off. Right, and I've never heard a single piece of evidence to indicate that I chose poorly. Mm-hmm. Everything I hear just confirms that I was right to quit watching. By the way, speaking of Lost, I'm not going to reveal it yet. Uh, I can't even take credit for it because it was it was uh, I said something that triggered an idea with Chris Paddock. So Paddock actually was the one who really came up with this. Uh, last week we had this whole um, discussion about whether we should actually talk about Lost on the show here because it's Lost is such a polarizing show, and we've discovered that people who are into Lost really love hearing about it. You know, the next day. But the people who don't watch Lost not only aren't into it, they actively hate hearing about it. Mm-hmm. So we have figured out, and by we, I mean, it really is Paddock. I made, a, I made a passing observation on the show that I would have forgotten about. But Paddock sort of rescued that idea from the trash can of my brain and polished it up and brought it back to me. I figured out how to make it a win-win situation this week. So we're going to continue the Lost conversation on Thursdays. Thursday, yeah, because Lost is on Wednesday. Uh, but we're going to make it palatable okay. for everybody. So we'll, uh, I, I'll tell you about it during the break. It's a good idea. Okay, cool. So, uh, I believe this is uh, Steve. Uh... <laughs> you want to try that again? <laughs> it's never been Steve Kastenbaum. It's no. been Jim every single time. Exactly. Jesus. God almighty. Welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. Jim Rube. Hello, sir. Oh, I'm sorry. I guess I need to pick up the phone. <laughs> I need some Viso. Hello, Jim Rube. How are you? 
I'm very well, thank God. you. Sorry I'm late. I was in that Oscars luncheon thing. Uh, that's okay. That's okay. I kept calling you Steve Kastenbaum all day. I don't know why. And then just I now I get worse, man. And, and then he introduced you and forgot they actually pressed the button. So it's a great day for me. Um, you were in a what? Huh? Huh? The Oscars nominee luncheon today. Here's a dumb question. Is that where you get to have lunch with, well, not with Heath Ledger, but, I mean, with other people? No. I did, I, he was the first name that came to mind, and I there was just no way to pull out of it. I, what is, uh, it's the, uh, <laughs> so sorry. It's the annual luncheon uh, that they have for uh, all the, uh, the, the class of nominees for the year. They take the big class picture, if you will. Right. And they uh, come by a little media room and answer questions and uh, just a way to put Oscar preview stuff together. All right. And so this is, uh, uh, so it's, it's kind of like a all-at-once junket. Yes. All right. Excellent. And so now is that on a scale of 1 to 10, how exciting is that for you to cover? It's not even on the scale, pal. <laughs> you mean it's so great that it can't even be calculated? Some people would think that. <laughs> All right then, fair enough. Oh, uh, how was your how was your weekend? Did you watch the big game yesterday, sir? Yeah, that was a great game. I thought the commercials were lousy, but I thought the, thought the game was great. I think the commercials were hit or miss. There was some stuff I really liked, and then there was some stuff I I didn't care for. Um, by the way, and I'll get to a full. I haven't done this yet, but I'll get to a full list of my Super Bowl observations later. Let me just speak for everybody here. Uh, I don't even remember what this was a commercial for, but this business of teenage boys wishing for Danica Patrick? No. <laughs> no, no, no. Wasn't that, wasn't that uh, uh, GoDaddy.com? Wasn't that it? I think it might be. Let me tell you yeah. this. There might be teenagers who wish for Danica Patrick. They're not boys, though. Uh, they're, uh, she's got bigger, she has bigger arms than I have. I mean, That's the first thing I noticed. I'm sure she's a nice lady and all, but I mean, really, in the grand scheme of things, uh, you're trying to talk about not being, not even, be, you know, being on the, not even being on the scale. Uh, so anyway, but it was, I mean, it was good though, and and it was not a big one-sided blowout the way it sometimes is. And the Springsteen thing was uh, was okay if you were able to distract yourself from how unbelievably fat Stephen Van Zandt has become. <laughs> it was really weird. He was turning. I think Stephen Van Zandt, little Stephen, is actually turning into a slug of some kind. Like sometimes you get the chin, and then it goes down to the waddle. But it's like it's not even any distinction anymore. It's like there is now just a there is now just a line that goes directly from the chin to the breastbone. Of it's like he's got a pelican uh, uh, thing underneath there or something. It's like he's been catching fish all day. Yeah, too much craft services at the Sopranos set, I think, is what it was. Yes, exactly. It's too much risotto. Um, yeah. And so forth. All right. Well, in any event, so I'm glad your weekend. Uh, glad your weekend was was satisfying. Did they? And I and I don't know how. I know this is one of those things that you you talk about um, each year because it's you know it's on the calendar and so it's one of those stories that gets that gets covered. Um, because it is because February we've kicked off uh, Black History Month, and I. So is it? I mean, do they do they have you do like a just a sort of a random man on the street thing, or do they like how do they? How is it that, that they have you take the cultural pulse on Black History Month? Uh, you know, I uh, when we when we discussed in our planning meetings uh, Black History Month, I wanted to take a different perspective, especially since uh, Barack Obama's election and the inauguration. And there were a couple of different angles. Number one, uh, we are obviously closer to being as colorblind as we can be. How much farther do we need to go? And how much different is Black History Month going to be celebrated this year? Because right. really, a lot of people consider Black History Month the uh, you know it, it's something that an African American celebrate about African American uh, uh, contributors to society, whatever it is. 
When really, if you think about it, and one of the pieces I did, you know, the guy who invented the propelling device for airplanes was an African-American. The guy who invented the remote control, African-American. So African-Americans have contributed so much to our lives today that uh, many folks in the black community just hate how Black History Month is, is pigeonholed into this Black History Month. It should be something that is celebrated by all of America. So that's that's sort of the angle we took this Wait, year. Wait, hold on. Uh, let me understand this. So the remote control, I'm sorry, your phone is uh, getting a little wacky on us here, but let me just so the remote control was invented by a black man. Yeah, early on, too. Like the first remote control was 1897 or some strange thing like that. What was it controlling? Yeah, if, you go, if you go to AfricanAmericans.com, you'll get all this information there. It's absolutely so here's and it's not that I it, let me be, let me clarify here it's not that I disbelieved you in any way I just wanted to cl I wanted to clarify this before I go forward with my next thought which is this uh, there are let's be honest we live in a country where there are just some people that have not gotten the racism memo there are just people and I'm thinking of my in-laws who have just not they just haven't been brought into even the late 20th century much less the 21st century so. There are holdouts in this country. There are bigots. There are people that are just not willing to, you know, to take down those barriers inside their brain. Here's what we need to do. You just need to put up big billboards everywhere just saying the remote control. You know what I mean? And then you just and you show the guy holding the remote control. And I mean, the, the way to achieve anything with Americans is to tie it into television. That's how oh, you do it. This is even better, though. An African-American invented the folding chair. <laughs> <laughs> there's, I think there's there's one thing fat bastards in this country love. It's a remote control while in a folding chair. Yeah, I'm telling you, man. I mean, really, if you could, if only you could get like the remote control folding chair, like uh, like uh, you know, like extra crunch Cheetos trifecta going on somehow. <laughs> I mean, really, it's like I, you know, you got my in-laws who are just God, God. God bless them. But they're just such, they're just so set in their ways. They're just so intractable about certain things. And again, they just cling to just these old, ridiculous divisions in their heads. And, you know, but one thing that they love to just sit on their fat American asses and watch television. So you go, look, that remote control you're using right there, it was invented by, and then you just show the guy's picture. And I mean, if that's not going to win my in-laws over, then maybe the cause is just lost with them. Uh, it, it's amazing what I've learned, you know, just <laughs> who, you know, how, how much uh, African Americans have contributed so much to society. It just, you know, I, I uh, uh, you know, it, it's it's it's, uh, it's surprising. It really is. And and also and just uh, here's the thing, and and not like I can speak for the entire black community here, but I it, I think it seems like I'm I'm kind of latching onto this remote control thing as a point of comedy, and I'm I I mean there's just some. I guess the remote control is sort of a funny item. But on the other hand, don't you feel like the uh, the public educational system just crams the George Washington Carver thing down everybody's throat? Look, look at this guy who did a lot of things with peanuts. I mean, it's yeah. like the point has been made. I mean, we really, I think we need to move beyond the peanut guy at this point, at least for a little while. Oh, yeah, Frederick Douglass, uh, George Washington Carver, all those guys, it's the same, it's the same class in every, in every book. But I tell you, man, there's so much... That's uh, that's amazing to me. I mean, yeah, you can really learn. I, that's why I love the internet, man. There's so much more you can learn. Just go to AfricanAmericans.com. You'll be surprised at what's there. I think for okay. Here's the thing: if I'm president, uh, like grand irremovable dictator or something, I think for like the first ten years of my presidency, every remote control sold in America has to have like a little brass plate mounted to it that says "Invented by a Black Man." <laughs> you know, here's something else. Speaking of the president, by the way, you know, so many years uh, African Americans have gone to black museums or African American museums to celebrate George Washington, Carver, all these other guys. 
But now what a lot of uh, community leaders are saying to me now is that now there's a, a living, breathing, historic figure today that sort of puts a whole new dimension to Black History Month. So there's a you're coming off the celebration of Martin Luther King's birthday. You're coming off the inauguration of Barack Obama, and you slide into Black History Month, and it it, uh, it there's this whole new energy in the black community that I think a lot of people are seeing uh, finally for the, for the first time in a long time. Excellent. All right, my friend. By the way, I'm just going to end with this joke here. This is not my joke. A listener says, hey, little Steven needs to lay off little Debbie. <laughs> there you go. The end. Hey, they're so cheap, though, man. It's a beautiful thing about it. Little snack cakes, Debbie, little Debbie. They're great. They're, they're so cheap. No, dude, I'm with you. And so when I was, I have to tell you, one quick thing here. When I was a uh, DJ uh, early on in my life, my Sunday morning breakfast when I went to work, I would stop by uh, the convenience store and I would buy a thing of like those Hostess old-fashioned cake donuts, like 12 in a box, and I would eat those all within like 15 minutes. Oh, yeah, man. There you go. That's what <laughs> gave me the girlish diet. figure I have today. <laughs> all right. Thank you, my friend. Have a good day. Thank you. There you go. That's fantastic. Uh, there's Jim Roof, not Steve Kastenbaum. All right, back on this remote control business for a moment, though. So, and, and Roof was talking about how the uh, you know the, the remote control was invented by a black man, but in 1897, I mean, what do you control? What, what do you what are you remote controlling with that? Is that like I I don't want to get up to churn that butter. Let me just. I'm thinking factories. Uh, that was the industrial revolution. I'm like I'm a thinking. See, like how in my head I assume it has to be like, there's no television. What could you, there's, there were no invent, there was nothing to control before television, Chuck. How about, before, before the television, there were no there devices. Were, that's right. There, nothing existed. But you're saying, so like, uh, it, like to control some sort of a, uh, like Machine. a factory mechanism? Yeah, there was remote control. Let's think about railroad switches. Oh. Some of those were remote control. All right, there you go. See, you can see how my dumb American brain works, though. Like, I go directly to the... I go directly to the, uh, you know, to the Magnavox or whatever it is. <laughs> Did you ever see that, like, um, that remote control that they came with the Magnavox where the TV had, it had, like, an electronic receiver in each corner? Yes. And each corner of the television, like, you had to point the thing in a different corner. That, like, one corner of the TV was, like, on and off, and the other one was, like, volume up, and the other was volume down or something. It's a weird, you know... There ought to be, I'm just saying real quickly, and we got a break. There ought to be an entire museum of just the television remote control. Because when you really think about, boy, just, can you imagine the number of miles that we would be walking every year if it were not for the remote control? You would, probably has made, I would say the remote control has created more obesity than processed sugar. I mean, really, if you were to think about it. Because the amount, the amount of TV we watch in this country, and especially now, what with the, uh, you know, the, the massive overflow of channels and so forth, it's like you'd have to be walking, you'd walk 10, 12 miles a week probably, just getting back, just go back and forth between G4 and Sports Center. But now the remote control, not so much. Somebody ought to do some completely useless study where they calculate exactly how much more you'd be walking every year without the remote control. How many calories burned and all that. That's what I'm saying. That's Maybe, a very valid point, to tell you the truth. I, that's what I'm saying. I mean, really, because, uh, you know, the TV's way over there. Well, I guess I'll... Ah, crap. And you go over there to, like... I mean, just to turn it down, uh, you know, just to turn it down It's like if I'm having wine with my girlfriends and the wine bottle's in the kitchen, and then we have to keep going to refill the glasses and come back. Eventually, you, you know, you need to just bring the wine bottle to you. Okay. Yes, you do, Sarah. <laughs> and the mountain comes to Muhammad. Let's take a break, shall we? All right. Back after this, the Rick Emerson radio program. Uh, coming up later on, uh, Chuck Knopf will tell his orange juice story. We'll also have today's zombie survival question. Later on, Peter Carlin for the Oregonian and more. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show.
Excellent. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. I'm going to put this over here so I quit saying Steve Pastenbaum. Joined today by Chuck Knopf, coming up later on, uh, Oregonian TV critic and man about town, now features uh, writer extraordinaire uh, Peter Carlin will be joining us. Yay. Let's see. Uh, we got uh, multiple things to get through here. Uh, we're going to uh, read a listener breakup story. Now, we're doing this. You can find out uh, more about this. You go to 970.am. Uh, for this, go to 970.am. You click on the Happy Valentine's Day or Not banner. We already sent a mailer uh, out about this to the Glorious Bastard. So if you are a Glorious Bastard, you heard about this last week, we are giving away a uh, a $75 gift card to proflowers.com. All you do is you go and you enter uh, in your breakup story, 200 words or less, and if we read your breakup story on the air, you will win a $75 gift card to ProFlowers, proflowers.com. So we'll do that here in a bit. And then are you now are you going to read one of yours as well? Yes, yes, I just bullet pointed one of my um one of my worst ones. Are you going to accompany Now we're going to do this each day where each day we're going to accompany a listener breakup story with one of yours. Oh man. Cuz I don't really have any bad breakup stories. That's we true. could. I mean, I you know, I just had one about a month ago. I could detail that. How many do you time. have in your library? Quite a few. I mean, do you want them alphabetically or chronologically? No, that's just... Yeah. Or by profession. I mean, really, it's... Come I've on. had one good breakup since I lived in Portland. That was with Justin. Yeah. No, and that was just sort of and a... And Justin's just a, an amazing guy. And, and that, that's... And that, it was kind of amicable. You know, we just were going in different directions, and there wasn't any big blowout, but... Yeah. It was just well, sort of a uh, many different ones. I remember that one. It was just sort of a you know not not working out whatever kind of a thing. Yeah. That was as good as it, as it could be. Uh, some of the others I uh, I remember the I remember the others as well. Yes. All mine just involved not calling anymore. Yeah. Just sort of a uh, you know slowly turning down the fader on the relationship until it's gone. All right. So that'll be uh, we'll do that here in a bit. Later on, we'll also announce the winner of this week's AM nine seventy listener bailout. Each and every week, we're going to be uh, giving something bright and shiny away to a listener who is involuntarily unemployed. Let's see what else. Uh, we will do our undead survival question today. We're going to do one of those every day this week, leading up to this Sunday's installment of CBS Radio Theater, featuring A Z, and uh, uh, we're going to be launching a brand new one. It's uh, Kimmy Waters and the Songbirds of Sing Sing, which is a uh, noir thriller set right here in Portland. So. We're doing a zombie survival question today. Uh, did I mention Peter Carlin? I did. I got some Super Bowl notes to get to and uh, so forth. This, however, Jeff Knopf. Hello. Good morning. How Good afternoon. You? So Good do you not remember the orange juice thing? I, I've done so many. <laughs> You've totally blocked it out. Yeah, it was probably so traumatizing that something had to be pushed. Either I was going to cry uncontrollably for the rest of my life or I had to stuff it. So... So we should note that uh, Sarah and I worked with Chuck next door, actually literally in the building next door. At yeah. uh, We were at KOTK, and you were at, uh, then it was called KWJJ. Yeah. And you were doing the uh, morning news there. Yep. And that's where it happened, by the way. Wasn't it? Now, did you, were you there when they moved over to Intercom? Did you stick around for a while? No. They asked me, or, or was it? There was a they, parting. There was a parting of did the you, days. Like how they gave us all the letters when they let us all go and then rehired yes. us. Did you just not get that second letter? No, I got the second letter. I was rehired. It's it just uh, you opted not to. Uh, I opted out of not continuing the process until to the other location. You opted not to be a part of that team anymore. <clears throat> That's correct. Fair enough. So this happened next door, though. And it, so th- here's why we're talking about this. Because Chuck came in today and he's holding a two-liter bottle of soda. And to be fair, he's being very, uh, very careful about it, which engineers uh, like. Engineers like to know that one is being very tidy and uh, taking all the appropriate precautions. Here's why. So next door, when we were at KWJJKOTK, in your news booth, there was 
It was a, it was kind of small. It was a cramped news booth. It was so tiny. I mean, it like was closet. Yeah, I mean, it was about the size of the one we got now, actually. But I mean, it was even more packed with equipment. So you go in the Chuck's news booth, and there was a bank of CD players, and uh, you know, like a tape decks and whatever, and a reel-to-reel machine. I think you still had. Yep. Yep. And then there was a computer and the news wire, and then there was limited counter space. I mean, really, like if you were standing at the microphone. You look down at the, you know, the countertop, and there was about six inches yeah. of countertop. Yeah, that's about it. Because the entire rest of the counter was taken up with a control board. Yes. Oh, and everybody oh. knows what a control board it, you know, looks like. You've seen that in movies a million times. The thing has all the little sliders on it that control the volume of whatever. And the control board, I do believe, if not brand new, was relatively it new. It was relatively new, yes. And. I think Mike Everhart, who was our engineer at the time, could probably clarify. Uh, he could probably uh, tell us exactly what the expense of that might have been. In fact, hold on a second. Let's. Are you? No, no, no. I'm, gonna call him. I'm not going to call Mike Everhart. I'm oh. going to see if Matt Green's here. Oh. CBS Radio Portland. Uh, hi, is Matt Green here, please? Uh, yeah. Let me connect you real quick. Great. Thanks so much. It's funny you use the uh, middleman markups and passive savings. <laughs> I don't know what anybody's extension is. Here's the thing: well, the thing is, like, there's no motive for me to learn because I got the front desk. I just dial that number and they find whoever it is. Yeah. Like, yeah. Hello, Matt. Matt Green. No. <laughs> Who is this? Is this someone doing a wacky voice? Yeah. Is it Jim? No, it's Richie. Richie, why are you answering Matt's phone? Because he's not in here. So you thought you would go in and answer it in a kooky voice? Don't do that anymore. I love him. All right. Would you do me a favor? If you find Matt Green, would you send him in? I'm trying to find him. All right. Okay, I'll let you get back to... Wow. <laughs> Helpful. This whole show is like a, is like a, like a Zucker, Abrams, Zucker production sometimes. <laughs> Jesus. Well, is this something I could find? And on Leon's the... getting larger. Can I find I, it on the Internet? I know approximately what the value would be. Well, in any event, so what what would you say the approximate value of this control board was? Oh, about fourteen to sixteen thousand dollars. Wow! Yeah. So everybody, imagine a fifteen thousand dollar piece of equipment sitting right in front of you. And here, just to give you an idea of the relative orientation of everything, when you are standing at the microphone, again, there's a countertop in front of you. Imagine, like, let's say you work at a, at a desk somewhere, you where you got a computer keyboard you're typing on. It is at about the same height and placement as your computer keyboard would be at work. In other words, when you stand up, it's at about waist level, about six inches in front of you, except it's much bigger in terms of area. If you were to take your computer keyboard at work, and if you were to make it, I don't know, about five times the size it is now in terms of the amount of desk that about it covers. Three by five feet, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So Chuck was having breakfast one morning in the studio, because, of course, why not? Why not eat and drink directly above the $15,000 piece of equipment? Sure. And I don't know how much of this you've blocked out, because during our during the break here we were talking, and it seems like you might not remember a lot of this. Do you remember the fact that you dumped an entire container of orange juice into the $15,000 control board? Yes. I feel like I'm on trial here. <laughs> I'm just saying, look, I'm out of the minute. It sounds like, like, do you remember, Mr. No, I, you know, you know what is, You know, it's all juice under the bridge at this point. I don't really care. Um, but, so, uh, please, uh, to ex- play back exactly, do you remember how it happened? Like, do you remember actually how it transpired? I think somehow my elbow bumped a glass mm-hmm. that contained, or it was a, you know, one of those plastic uh, bottles that, they, that they're... It was like an Odwalla bottle. Yeah, exactly. In fact, that may have been the brand. It was like an Odwalla bottle uh, of orange juice. You bumped it with your elbow, yes, and the cap was off. Yes, it was. And it poured. <laughs> and, of course, here's the great thing about a radio control board. 
And keep in mind, I, this is, it's all very amusing to me. I didn't have to pay for it. So um, a radio control board, again, is just a bunch of sliders and switches and panels. But each of those sliders you know, has to move up and down, which means there's a huge slot. That means that anything you pour on the front is just going to go directly into it. Yes. I mean, it's just wonderful. And so it knocks over. It pours in. Did you even, like, were you even able to make a sort of gesture to stop it from happening? Or did you just sort of, like, look at it and go, well, darn, as it was kind of pouring? No, I tried to make an incredible effort at saving it, but I knew halfway through it. I was, it was like, always lost. I was screwed, and was I it? thought my job's over. And uh, Sisyphean task. Yeah. Uh, so, so, okay, so you've dumped an entire bottle of orange juice. And, by the way, everybody out there who either works or has worked in radio... They're all feeling the same kind of pain because everybody has either done it. Sarah did it. Didn't you dump a, a big cup of coffee into the control board no, over I, the coin I tower? some water. Boy. The water. That was the scariest, like, five minutes of my life. Because we'd already talked about, if anyone spills on the board, they're out of a job. And then, like, literally ten minutes later, like, all of a sudden, like, I forgot that and pour water on it. It was the day that they announced the zero tolerance policy for that. I forgot all about it. And if anybody spills anything into corporate equipment, uh, that is an immediate firing Ten minutes later, Sarah, bam, elbow, uh, elbow into the water, glass of water right into the board. I forgot all about that. Yeah, I didn't. Um, so, okay, so you spilled the orange juice into the control board. Yeah. After you realized that all was lost, um, that there was no fixing this, what did you do then? Who did you find to tell? Did you go tell the engineer? Did you tell, like... You know, I can't recall that. That's that's where the blank spot in your yeah. memory begins. That's where everything goes a little dark. Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, all I remember is just seeing uh, Mike uh, Everhart, who is really a wonderful person, great engineer, uh, one of the best engineers we've ever had. I just remember seeing him. I remember seeing him walk. I guess maybe not even walk. Sort of stomp by my cubicle later on. And I just <laughs> remember him walking really angrily. And I heard the door open and heard him say, I need a drink. I'll be back. And that's it. And that was the last time I saw him for like a day. So he may, in fact, have just spent the rest of the afternoon at a bar somewhere boozing it up. So, Which would be appropriate considering what I had done. I yeah. Mean, I knocked it off the air. I mean, re- see, I don't remember oh, that, really. I I think it was off the air for like two days, and he had to jerry-rig some kind of... Uh, some wow. kind of workaround so that the microphone at least would work. I mean, I can't even imagine, because it's not like, I mean, dumping water into it is one thing, because it's short to it or whatever, but the thing with the orange juice is, and of course, here's the thing about a radio board, is it's very warm. Yeah. It's electronic equipment, so it's warm, which means that that orange juice kind of goes, and gets, like, dry and... sticky so, orange juice. Yeah, sort of dry and sticky almost immediately. Oh, wow. In fact, I really must say, short of actually just buying some maple syrup, I think that might have been the single worst thing you could have found to pour into the board. I understand that now. <laughs> I get that. But, oh, wow. You know, I, I, I did block it out because I remember how angry he was, and I do believe included in the aftermath was a meeting with the general manager, Ron Carter, about it. And Ron Carter, who was a very easygoing person. Mm-hmm. And he's a former Army captain, I I didn't believe. know that, really. Yes. He's military, and he's he was... And he was was he unhappy? He shut the door. Get you, when you walk into the general manager's office and he says, have a seat, and he shuts the door, and you know. You're looking around to see if HR's there? Yeah, and I'm yeah. saying they already cut the check, and they, oh, where's the cardboard wow. box with my stuff uh, in it? You're lucky you scooted by on that one. And oh. the, Ron Carter's a very, he's he's a a very, very pleasant man. He's a reasonable man. And no so, but it's the quiet ones that are the scariest when they're mad. Seriously. And that's the guy that when he, you know, and everybody has had a boss like this, you know, smiles a lot, very happy. You know, chucks you on the shoulder. How are things going, sport? Everything. When that guy loses uh, his cool, you know that it's 
and yeah. he didn't get behind his desk to show his power position. There was a couch in there, and I recall him sitting down next to me, and he goes, he, he folds his legs and his arms, he looks at me, and he goes, you know, that was unfortunate what you did. Oh, wow. And I'm thinking, oh, God, he's he's really going to sit here. And was he stroking me. a white cat in his lap as he did it? <laughs> no, no, but I thought he was, I thought he was the, here's the, the pregame show to sure. firing, you know. <laughs> the overture. Yeah. And now for my next act, get out. <laughs> and he said, it's unfortunate that this has happened. And I said, you know, what am I going to say? Yes, I planned it. Yes, I, I really. And he said, because of your value here, because of your forthrightness. And he, he went down a list of reasons that he was going to keep me. Right. And he said, I'm going to keep you. And I and I just sat there and I, I was... I, I wanted to thank him, but at the same time, I felt the guilt right. and the shame of, fi- of being the USDA prime butthole of the week. Yes. And I think my photo was... <laughs> the, and, you know, and, and when he says, like, so we've decided to keep you, that's actually, like, the scariest phrase because it means that they went through a long discussion where one of the exactly. options was not keep you. Exactly. I mean, that, that lets you know, that is sort of the summation that lets you know all of the math that came before it, where they they, they weighed the pros and cons of like, mm, I don't know, maybe we could just break one of his legs or, you know, whatever. And so I, I said to him, I promise I will never drink a liquid again or have food in the news booth. And he goes, good, I, I'm glad you see what we're trying to do here. Then, oh, boy. And I love Ron Carter, but that's just so terrifying, too, because you just, at any moment, you know that his his hand could reach for the, like, the... The button, and it's like you go the trap door into the piranha tank, you know, beneath his office or whatever. Here's my, and then we'll take, we'll take a break, come back after this with Peter Carlin. We'll do some more news. We'll do the zombie question, the breakup story, all the stuff to get through the next hour. My indelible uh, memory of Ron Carter, and I can't state this enough, really is a great guy. One of the best GMs I've ever had. My indelible memory of him is this. It, when I began my ill-fated syndicated program, which right. it's like everyone knew that it was a mistake except for me. Like every single person on earth but me knew that it was a bad idea. And I remember the, 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 right before, you know, I made the final decision to do it and I was going to sign the contract and whatever, Ron Carter brought me to the office and he sat me down and he looked at me and he said, Do you know what you're doing? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and of course, sure, I, I, I absolutely understand what I'm doing. I've thought it all through. And, and you know, in retrospect, he was just totally right. He did, and the thing is, and when I said yes, when I said yes, I think this is the right decision for my career, Ron. He didn't, he didn't press me. He didn't question me. He didn't, you know, really looking back, if I had just said, I don't know, maybe, what do you think? And then he would have said, this is the worst mistake you will ever make in your life. You will look back on this day and rue it forever. It, I might have actually, I don't know, I might have, I might have still made the same bad decision, but I might have, I might have reconsidered. I don't know. If only I had taken advantage of his yeah. wisdom then, yeah. uh, which I did not. So, all right. Well, there you go. So I've borne, I've borne my soul here, and I, I feel some kind of cleansing, you know? No, 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 it's good. I'm glad that we could. <laughs> hey, don't, don't let me forget, before the end of the show, i got another radio, I have a, a radio-specific question to ask the both of you. So, all right. All right. Back after this, the Rick Emerson Show. It's 503-733-2970. Still to come, from the Oregonian, Peter Carlin. A little bit more Super Bowl recap, more news with Chuck Knopp. We'll do the breakup story and more. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. <laughs> Attention, Richie Bristol. Uh, we're going to do our breakup giveaway here. 
And then we will obtain the services of Peter Carlin from the Oregonian who will join us. So a couple minutes here. Probably don't want to call him yet because he gets persnickety. Yeah, not yet. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Uh, so we'll do uh, the breakup stories here. Peter Carlin will take a break. Uh, then more news. Then the bailout winner, then the zombie thing, then some other stuff. Let me get this written down. It's all very exciting. It's all magical. It's 503-733-2970. And, of course, we are doing our Happy Valentine's Day or Not giveaway uh, all this week and, I believe, uh, all through next week as well. Brought to you by ProFlowers.com. So the deal is you go to uh, 970.am, you click on the banner that says Happy Valentine's Day or Not. You type in your breakup story, 200 words or less. And if we read your breakup story on the air, you win a $75 gift card. To proflowers.com. Get a dozen sweet expressions roses for $39.99. Get a second dozen free. Go to proflowers.com. You click the microphone in the upper right hand corner. You type in Emerson, E M E R S O N, or call 1 800 proflowers and mention uh, my name, Emerson, E M E R S O N, for the amazing deal. Offer expires Friday. Uh, that is at proflowers.com. All right, so we've also decided, just because we wish for everyone to feel less alone in their romantic sorrow, to accompany every breakup story this week. With one of Sarah Dillon's breakup stories. <laughs> Sarah, are you prepared? I'm prepared. Right. I, I prepared a little bit in musical bed, too. So why don't we lead with your story? That way, no matter how bad the breakup is, they can always say, at least that didn't happen to me. This is true. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, we give you the breakup files of Sarah X. Dillon. Okay. This one's one of this one tops out a little bit. This is one of the best ones. And by best, I mean worst. So it was uh, New Year's Eve 2006. And I was dating this guy at the time who was in a band, and his band was playing, and we'd already, we'd always kind of had a volatile relationship uh, to begin with. Tempestuous lovers. Tempestuous. Oh, yes. So uh, I went to watch his band play, and uh, he told me that he was going to dedicate a song to me. And I was like, wow, you know, this is so great. And I kept like, I'm like, okay, so, you know, when are you going to dedicate the song? He's like, okay. And he kept forgetting. And then they have this song called uh, Shut Up. <laughs> oh, no. So I got that song dedicated. He's like, oh, I didn't mean anything by it. I didn't mean... And so I got upset. I'm just like... So after you That's know, not really like a page out of John Cusack or anything. Yeah, not so much, you know, boombacks over the head. So he's just like, well, I dedicated a song to you, you know, isn't that enough? I'm like, you know what? The song is just called Shut Up? Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a variation of that. Um, is it a profane variation of that? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, okay. But, um, so anyway, so this is happening like right before midnight. So I'm talking to him and I'm like, you know, that really upset me. Um, did so he, he, did, start, he did this on stage? He dedicated it? Uh, on stage. All right. Yeah, in front of all my friends. And everything. It was so humiliating. Well done. So I'm sitting there talking to him afterward, and he's just all of a sudden just like ignoring me and trying to be like a badass. So I was trying to talk to him. And he turns around, throws a beer in my face. Whoa! An entire pint of beer thrown in my face. I'm in a dress. I'm covered head to toe in stinky beer. This is the stroke of midnight, uh, 2006 to 2007. Uh, I leave all my. I'm sorry. I'm not laughing at you. <laughs> I'm kind of laughing at you. I leave all my friends. I go home crying in a cab. It's like, you know, 12.05. Wake up in the morning smelling like stale beer. Uh, decide to get up and drive to my friend's house. Get out of my car, and I realized that my car had been vandalized overnight. And somebody had spray-painted a, di- a giant red anarchy symbol on the front of my car. And then I tried to get a hold of, as soon as, you know, the beer throwing in my face happened I, I was like that's it I'm having done with you you know we're done and then uh, my ex-boyfriend decided to hold a bunch of my personal property ransom including um, my laptop hmm. that he held ransom and unless I would give him like $200 <laughs> the end 
<laughs> well done. That's a bad breakup. Yes, it is, That's Chuck. Bad. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the breakup files of Sarah X. Dillon. <laughs> oh God. On that note, let's uh, we'll back the music up here, and we'll do this. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you uh, today's Happy Valentine's Day or not uh, winner of a $75 gift card to ProFlowers.com. We'll use uh, first names only for this. This comes to us from Sharon. Sharon says, oh, weddings, don't you just love them? So full of hope, love, and promises. After my son's wedding, at my daughter's home, in her beautiful garden, after the ceremony in which her sister and I sang, following too much free homebrew, which I actually had made for the occasion, my husband, reeling from overindulgence, made a pass at my daughter, effectively ending the party and, oh yes, our marriage, Jesus God, the end. Sharon. There you go. Sharon, uh, you're the proud, well, not proud, but, you know, uh, winner of a $75 gift card to proflowers.com. You are today's winner in the Happy Valentine's Day or Not contest. Enter your breakup story of 200 words or less at 970.am. All right, Richie. Can oh, we, uh, the magic of love. We obtain Peter Carlin. That'll be ever so splendid if you could do that. All right. It's 503-733-2970. I'll set that one right over here. You didn't see that coming, did you? <laughs> I did not. A little bit of a Shyamalan ending. Uh, well, she definitely deserves the flowers. Yes, she does, Sarah. All right. Me, I just have my happy memories. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't, I mean... Like it, did you, I, I, I kind of kept a lot of that story to myself because it was so. <laughs> the, when it actually happened, I didn't really tell everybody the full extent because it was so awful. I have to say though that um, really the most surprising thing to me about that story is that you is that you didn't uh, is that you like went straight to bed with that sort of showering off the beer because then you no, wake up the de- next morning covered in beer. No, I was depressed. It was midnight. No, it all like dried up. I just smelled like stale PBR. <laughs> stale beer. And no, because I, I you know I'm like you wake up in the morning. I'm just like oh it's a glory. Oh, I broke up with my boyfriend this morning. Oh, <laughs> oh, he threw a beer in my face and humiliated me in front of all my friends by dedicating a song to me. Uh, <laughs> happy 2000. Oh, wait, ah, crap. All right, it is uh, 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from the Oregonian our good friend Peter Carlin. Hello, sir. Hey, man. How are you, brother? I'm okay. How are you? I'm. I'm fine. Somebody sounds a little keyed up today. Uh, you know, here's the thing. It's no win with you because sometimes if I don't sound energetic, then you think that I'm um, being cranky. But then when I sound energetic, then you accuse me of being keyed up. I wasn't, it wasn't really accusing. I was just saying that you seem full of exuberance in life, sir. Yeah. You, see, now you've just gone all flat on me again. Now I'm getting sad. <laughs> now you're, but you're a crying on the inside kind of features writer. No, 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 no. I'm crying all over the place. All right, then. Uh, hey, so how about that big game yesterday? Uh, I watched part of it. It was cool. Um, so, what do you think of Springsteen? Because you're, you're, uh, you and uh, my friend Chris Sneathan are, are sort of the two biggest Spring, uh, Springsteen fans. And I'm, you know, something more than a casual fan, something less than a than a fanatic. But uh, what? Is, first of all, what is your take? I mean, because this is sort of stuff that rock nerds think about. What is your take on just the whole notion of somebody like Springsteen playing at the Super Bowl? 
Ooh, in concept, I'm kind of a little opposed to it, but on the other hand, um, I don't know whether that is a good feeling to have or not, it, whether whether that's just elitist or something. Um, uh, so it, in execution, I thought it was just fine. There was nothing surprising about it, but then it's like there, of course, could never be anything surprising about anyone playing at the Super Bowl halftime unless they started ripping someone else's clothes off, but, but that's not even going to happen anymore. So... You know, so it's like, I mean, it's the point where on Friday, I remember I was actually giving it some thought. I was driving somewhere, and I began to ponder what songs he was going to play. Right. And then I knew just somehow, I just knew he was going to play, A, not only would he play Glory Days, but B, he would revise the lyrics to change baseball to football. Like, I just, that was just, like, so obvious that was going to happen. You just sensed it within the marrow of your bones. I did. I felt it. I felt that it would be real. And, in fact, it was. And when he got to the part where he said he could throw that, that Hail Mary by you, I had it as spiral because I thought that scanned a little better. But, um, but nevertheless. But you know what? He's a great performer. So it's like, you, you know, you get him up there and he's, he's going to do that 12 minutes, like, better than anybody as far as, you know, at least for my money. And, so, and he's got those tunes. You know, no one else can get up there and play 10th Avenue Freeze Out, and that's a great song. You know, no one else. I mean, he does that thing where he can sort of be like this this party guy. You know, he can kind of be the center of the big party, but he does it in a way that's just not cheesy. You know, or it's cheesy in a way that's fun and acceptable and not kind of offensive or doesn't See, offend your intelligence along the way. Well, and that was my thing is that like Spring, Springsteen does have this sort of. I mean, it's not unique, but he does have the rare ability to simultaneously be playing these. I don't know, to be playing these songs that are, I mean, let's be honest, I mean, it's not like he's some some niche, uh, you know, artist or some underground performer or whatever, and he's sold, you know, skillions of records, and he's playing the Super Bowls in front of, you know, whatever, like a billion people or something, but at the same time, he does have that ability to do like a weird, maybe intimacy is the wrong word, but you know what I mean, where the songs are simultaneously huge and bombastic, but they also, they have this sort of weird organic feel to them, which is, a, that's a neat trick to pull off, not everybody can do that. Yeah, but here's the thing, I agree that he is a mainstream artist, but... But he created his his part of the mainstream. I mean, he turned his niche into a into the mainstream. The mainstream like changed its course to run through his niche because he did not exist on that level. I mean, I remember when I first began to you know listen to him and think about him, which was you know now <laughs> far too many years ago. Um, you know, I remember thinking, and this was like before the river came out. You know, that even after Born to Run came out and even when Darkness on the Edge of Town came out, you know, he was still not exactly a big mainstream dude. You could walk up to the box office on that, you know, the River Tour, or excuse me, at least certainly on Darkness, that tour, on the West Coast, you could walk up to the, to the, to the Seattle arena the night of the show and buy a ticket at the box office. You know, and that was like one of the best shows I've ever right. seen in my life. I mean, maybe the best rock concert I've ever seen in my life. And I mean, and back east, it was huge. I mean, you couldn't get in to save your life. But, but he was re way more regional then, and not like a huge dude. It still seemed it wasn't really till the river came out that you began to feel like he was reaching this 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 tipping point where now he was definitely like a part of the landscape. And you know, the thing about and the other thing about Springsteen is he does have. It just, you know, he has a, what they call a presence, you know, yeah. which is sort of like a charisma or a magnetism or whatever. And and not everybody has that. I mean, just because you're on television, certain people can go on television, even if in real life they are sort of big and bombastic and they have a, you know, real kind of chemistry to them. And sometimes on TV they just seem very flat. And 
when Springsteen, he did that uh, thing yesterday where, I don't know, they, they introduced him or whatever, you know, or he, they started with like him and little Steven in silhouette. Now and him and Clarence. Was it him and Clarence? And yeah. that he, but he does that thing of coming up to the camera and he goes, I want you to get off your couch or right, whatever. And right, he was, right, right, he right. was doing kind of that. You know, the, what I would call sort of a Paul Stanley thing, uh, but where he's doing the oh event. God. But, but, you know, but, but, it's, but it's, part and, it's part and partial of the same thing. What, it's the ahead. same thing. It's like a weird evangelist rock and roll thing. And he's like, I want you to put down your chicken wings, which, I mean, like on paper just looks absurd. Right. Like the idea that, no, 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 he's going to urge people to stand and to put their poultry fingers uh, back on the plate. And like you look at that on paper and you go, well, that's. That's just stupid. But when he says it, he just sells it in a way. He does have that, it's such a cliche, but the larger-than-life you know, imprint uh, when he does that. So. See, but the distinct, and we've had this discussion before. Oh, are you just gonna, is this going to be like a thing where you just go back and start railing on a passive observation I made to kiss? Uh, uh, yeah, totally. Okay. Right. Totally. Go ahead. Because the difference between him and Paul Stan- Gene Simmons, was that who you mentioned? Paul Stanley. Paul Stanley and those guys. Well, I guess this is mostly a Gene Simmons observation is that Springsteen, the reason why Springsteen can do it is that when he's up there, he means every syllable. It mean, it matters more to him than it does to anyone who's watching, for whatever reason. And I think he understands that, that this isn't necessarily a good thing about his personality. He, calls his, he, he refers to himself as an attention whore. But it matters. It, it, it's like it, it, it completes something it's, that's vital to him for his emotional survival being up there and at the center of attention and, and, and getting people to feel a certain way. Whereas our man Gene Simmons talks, tells anyone who will listen that he didn't want to be in a rock band. He wanted to be in a rock brand. You know, it's like, okay, that's nice. I don't want to know anything more about it, but that was interesting. You know, I don't ever want to hear, them, you know, I mean, this is a guy that's selling a product and I guess it's a product that people like and you know, it's like Coca-Cola or whatever and and, and you know, young Rick Emerson certainly was swept into it and remains so to this day. But um, but Springsteen is like this is religion to him. You know, this is this is his thing that gives his life meaning. And whether you like it or not, and it's very very possible to just not like Bruce Springsteen just because it doesn't that kind of music doesn't appeal to you. But for the people to whom it does appeal, and myself included, you know, it is. I mean, it's deep and meaningful. And even when he's singing Glory Days, which isn't necessarily a song that I like. And he's doing it at the Super Bowl. I mean, of all the Super Bowl halftime shows I've seen in my life, I mean, that was the one where you felt like the guy on stage really meant what he was doing. By the way, just in the, in this, you know, in the spirit of harmony and brotherly love, I will not bring up the fact that Springsteen just struck up that whole deal with Walmart for his new record. Yeah, but now he feels actively bad oh, about but it. What, so he, I'm sure he'll be giving the money back. I mean, is he gonna, is he gonna, no, 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 take it back. I, I will mail a refund to every person in America that bought my record at Walmart. Well, it's not the people that are buying the records who are getting ripped off. It's the people who are selling them the records who are getting ripped off. So those are the people that he, you know, and he realized, I think, that he kind of, that that for whatever sin of commission or sin of omission, that they they dropped the ball on that one. And, you know, but I mean, I think he does a lot for, I mean, I think he's always been very um, out front and, and doing nice things for, for, you know, working people and unemployed people and stuff. And some of it you hear about, and a lot of it I bet that we don't. But I would say this, that the thing about, because uh, I heard there were some sort of, you know, mutterings before anime, you know, Springsteen is like, a, you know, and he's, diminishing himself or diluting it or selling out or whatever being at the Super Bowl. And the thing is, when you watch those guys, the E Street Band, who are maybe maybe the best currently performing example of this that you could find, and maybe maybe one of the best examples of this ever, mm-hmm. where it is this sort of, 
you know, for the core of that band anyway, because there's some ancillary players that come in and out. But for the core of that group, you know, they're just such a battle-hardened, you know, band band of musicians. I mean, they've just been together, you know, I mean, you know, again, so so corny. But I mean, for the very beginnings, you know, all the way to superstardom, and you know, into there's somewhere in between right now, and that you realize that. I'm not saying he wasn't selling it and giving it his all, and I wasn't, you know, it's not that. But you, you do realize when you see those guys play on stage and you see the chemistry between them, with, like with a lot of bands, that, okay, so, you know, what they want the Super Bowl to go well, but in the grand scheme of things, to them, it almost doesn't matter because it's like they've just been through so much together, and you can see it the way they all interact on stage. Yeah. That really, at the end of the day, all that really matters is them and, you know, th- them within, you know, that, that band as its own unit and the way that they all stick with together with each other and the relationship that they have with their actual, you know, with the fans. Yeah. And, you know, so, hey, maybe the Super Bowl goes well, maybe it doesn't, but you know what, when all is said and done at the end of the 12 minutes, they're going to be back out on the road, you know, doing what, what they really ought to do. So Yeah. No, so it know. was, you know, there's a lot of, I, I cut him a, a ton of slack because I, re, I mean, I don't even think that he needs to have slack cut for him. I mean, just because I think that, you know, aesthetics aside, and as I said, it's very, very possible to listen to that music and not be, if you're just not tuned to that, if you like other stuff, then, you know, that's that's the way it is. But, like, there are certain bands that you look at them, and artists, and you think, like, well, this guy, these people are true to to something pure. And I think Springsteen is, you know, with a few slips here and there. I mean, nobody's perfect, and he screws up from time to time. And then he, I think he'd be the first to admit it. But the guy is at the, you know, as they say at the at the end of the day, um, I think extraordinarily true to his artistic calling, and and, and I think that makes a, a big difference. And so so talking about uh, being true to your artistic calling. So here's the thing that I guess doesn't surprise me, and it doesn't surprise me, but it irritates me. And I and I guess I'm at the point where it shouldn't irritate me, but it still does, which is. That during yesterday's Super Bowl, both Jennifer Hudson and Faith Hill were lip syncing, hmm. which doesn't. I mean, and again, it's not like I'm surprised. Like I can't believe what I'm, I mean. I, I can't. I, my whole world is crumbling around me. Yeah. I'm not surprised by it, but it just pisses me off. There's just no way around it. So like, you, know, you got Springsteen, who, first of all, Springsteen's older than both of them put together, and he's running around and he's you know leaping up and down and he's exhorting the crowd and he's playing guitar and singing. And he's doing 12 minutes as opposed to, like, three or four. He's not standing stock still. And you know what? Springsteen still found the ability to sing live somehow. Yeah. So it's like, if you, you know, like what, is, like, what is Faith Hill's excuse? You know what I mean? Or like Jennifer Hudson. Like, you're, you know what? Your you're fat contest-winning ass can sing live. You know? I mean, seriously, just sing. Well, you know, yeah, I know. But again, with those kinds of artists, it's sort of like, I'm like, eh. You know, it, I, I just can't get upset about it. I just sort of feel like... They're not really live performers to begin with. I, Jennifer Hudson maybe more, or something. Or, you know, I don't know. I mean, those are two people who I don't have a whole I don't have a whole lot of bandwidth for. Well, it's not like I really expect a lot no, from no, Faith Hill anyway. But like, I mean, but I guess my thing is like to me, it's like this weird exercise in absurdity where the audience, like to me, the thing that really uh, that really just grated on me for some reason. My wife just got a whole earful of this last night. And I was talking about the people applauding, like the big standing ovation for Faith Hill when she sang. Uh, what is she saying? God bless America. I think I was. Ooh, that's a cheesy song. And the best part, by the way, was everybody standing with their hands over their hearts because they couldn't. But the the thing about it is, so she's singing, um, so she's singing, uh, uh, God bless America, and you see, you know, whatever, like John Elway or like all the attendees, and they're all standing with their hand over their heart, and 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 then at the end, the audience is a huge like standing ovation, like however many eighty thousand people or something. And I'm thinking, so you've got a a woman pretending to sing, 
and an audience pretending to be impressed by the woman pretending to sing. It's all a very, ex it's a real sort of postmodern exercise, isn't it? It is the sort of thing that makes me want to file a nuisance class action suit. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, really, that's the sort of thing that just to be a, just to be a fly in the ointment, it makes me want to file a nuisance lawsuit on behalf of everybody who bought a ticket to the Super Bowl thinking they were going to get to see Faith Hill and Jennifer Hudson sing live, and then instead they had to sit there while somebody mimed to a tape. Yeah. Th then everybody applauded. I mean, maybe it sounds like I'm being disproportionately angry about it, but it just, I don't know why, it just... It, it irritates me so badly sometimes, and sometimes I'm fine with it, and sometimes it just really rubs me the wrong way, especially, though, when it is followed up by 12 minutes of Bruce Springsteen running around, uh, playing guitar, doing all the work in the crowd, and yet still somehow able to actually sing. And all Faith Hill has to do, literally, is stand there, look pretty, and sing for, like, three minutes. Yeah. I mean, really, that's beyond your abilities. You know, I mean, maybe... Maybe you ought to, you know. I did that in a bar last night for free. Seriously. I, it just, Come on. Just, it just, it really just infuriates me sometimes, like way beyond what it ought to, I know. So, anyway. Well, no, the thing that would be really disconcerting would be if you heard that Springsteen had been, uh, had been lip syncing. Well, that's then, what, then my, then my earth would crumble. Well, that's what, well, you know, because there was that whole thing that came out where Yo-Yo uh, Ma and Itzhak Perlman uh, right. weren't live at the, at the inauguration. Yeah, but that was because their instruments were freezing. Well, I that's I mean I know I understand. I mean I know there was a reason for it. Uh, but I don't think those boys tend to but, uh, lip sync a lot. But it does or well, bow sync. Well, you know they uh, <laughs> they revealed at some point that I think one of Pavarotti's last performances was lip synced. Um, uh, and so you know you, you just uh, and here's the other thing. So Lara asked me that she's like, well, are you sure that Springsteen wasn't lip syncing? And of course I immediately gave like the the rock purist answer first. He wouldn't do that. And then I said, but even if he would, I said, just based on the fact that he was occasionally not, you know, he's a little flat sometimes or he was a little raw and that he would pull away from the microphone and you would hear the the, the word kind of trail off. The, the, the sort of circumstantial evidence indicated that, you know, that he was singing. And plus, I, I really honestly don't feel like Springsteen would do that. He Maybe I'm just maybe I'm suffering from true believer itis or something, but I, I don't think he would. But but I do remember a couple of years ago when Billy Joel uh, played at the Super Bowl, and he was singing, but if you listened, and I had several musicians independently sort of tell me that they had exactly the same reaction, if you listened to Billy Joel sing at the Super Bowl, you could tell that he was being auto-tuned, uh, that it wasn't live. It was going from his mouth to the auto-tuning software, then to the PA, and he was being tell. tuned on the fly. Because you can, because it sounds a little, um, it sounds a little uh, stuttery in a way that you almost can't even uh, orally detect or whatever that word is. It's like in radio, if somebody hits, like if somebody uh, bump, if they bleep something in radio, they use the delay, the dump button. Mm -hmm. If you're listening and if you're a radio person, if you're listening at home, you can always tell when somebody has dumped something because the voice sounds just a little bit off in a way that you can't even quantify, but you can just sort of sense. The voice sounds a little, and Sarah knows it. Chuck Knopf, who's here with us, knows no, it. No, I've gotten into a dispute with one of my friends when we were watching the Super Bowl, and like, Jennifer Hudson is lip-syncing. Right. And she did a damn good job of pretending she wasn't, but you could totally tell. And I had a bunch of musicians say that they're like, hey, Billy Joel was singing live, but it was going through an auto-tuner before it hit, and which... Which I know they do, like Reba McIntyre said she sings through an auto-tuner in her concert. The auto-tuner will actually stretch the voice out just enough. Yeah. If you're listening for it, you'll pick it up. And because it's pitching it up and down on the fly, and that's very fast, but it's not absolutely real time. And so there is a little bit of a lag sound to it. So, anyway. I'm just saying the whole society is built on a den of lies, Peter. Yeah, well, 
I know. I like to live in. Uh, uh, I, I just. I, I like to live in ignorance. So. <laughs> it's bliss. It's bliss. I tell you. It's happy here. It is. Uh, all right. Uh, hey, so you and I kind of email back and forth about this, but I. Uh, so uh, now that you moved on to the big world of features, where you know it's like the like the that that how we live section becomes basically the whole Peter Carlin section, where it's you know you're like five pages of you, which is great. Um, so are you on like any sort of given schedule? Like when can we look for the next exciting installment uh, of, of Peter Carlin's thoughts on everything? No, there's no schedule. It's just it's just when I can get stuff done. You make your own law. You are the schedule. When they tell me they're going to fire me unless I get something in the paper. No! I, you know, I don't know. It just goes when it goes because, you know, you have stuff. It's like and it always tends to be like everything at once. So like suddenly one week you'll have two big pieces in that you've been working on for three weeks, you know, independently. But that's all. All right, then. Well, Nothing well, has meaning anymore. <laughs> well, this call turned dark all of a sudden. <laughs> okay. Well, in any event, this... Uh... It's all lies, Rick. Can't you see? Wow, this ad hoc uh, improvisation of no exit has been brought to you by <laughs> the Oregonian. Um, all right, Peter Carlin, uh, read him in the Oregonian or online at OregonLive.com. All right, we will speak with you next week, uh, week sir. Mm, fun. I'll look forward to it. Okay, there you go. That's Peter Carlin. <laughs> wow. I just, uh, someone took away his whimsy toward the end of that call. Hello, Chuck Knopf, how are you? Well, I'm good, I'm good. Uh, the person who may not be as good is uh, Michael Phelps. Swimming one toke over the line, if you get that one. <laughs> anyway, a tabloid photograph showed that Phelps may have a problem. Britain's News of the World newspaper printed a photo of Phelps holding a glass pipe normally used to smoke marijuana. The photo does not actually show Phelps smoking. Some marketing analysts predict Phelps' gold medal image may now be tarnished because future sponsors may be reluctant to hire the swimmer to be the voice and face of their products. Well, see, how can that be even, it's like, oh, they don't know if he smokes. Like, I don't smoke pot, and I don't go around carrying glass bongs. Seriously, let me just hold it to my mouth. Yeah. just to carry it around me yeah. for a little bit? Well, I've got, let's see, it says, uh, let's see, where do we, uh, I have a little bit of this. Uh, here. It says, um, so here's the picture. Have you seen the picture? Yes. No. Look at the, um, right there, like the what a dope. Oh my right God. there, yeah. <laughs> it says, uh, this is the astonishing picture, this is news of the world, which could destroy the career of the greatest competitor. I'm tired of him being called the greatest competitor in Olympic history, too. And I know that I have, I, he's one of those guys that we just started to dislike for no reason on this show. It was when I saw him with the hat turned sideways. I mean, there's just no uh, getting around it. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, glass pipes generally used to smoke cannabis, blah, 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 blah. Listen to this. So, um... One party-goer who witnessed the star's behavior told the News of the World he was out of control from the moment he got there. Uh, let's see. Um, he showed up unannounced. It's like shades of Stillwater. Uh, Michael Phelps showed up at the University of South Carolina in Columbia unannounced at a house party. He was visiting Jordan Matthews, a girl he was secretly seeing, who was a student there. Our source revealed Michael Phelps came to visit Jordan, but ended up just getting wasted every night. He arrived with a group of girls hanging all over him. Jaws hit the floor. You don't get many celebrities in Columbia. You don't? So when Phelps comes to your party, it's a big deal. Um, every girl wanted a piece of him, and every guy wanted to be his best buddy. As he basked in his douchebag hero status, Phelps knocked back beers and shots of spirits. And when a, a student offered him... The glass bong engraved with red, whiting, uh, red writing, he did not hesitate. Right, and apparently he hit the bong repeatedly throughout the evening. And then, but then he put out this, here's the thing that bugs me about it, because somebody said, I got an email about this. Um, let's see, where did it go? Um, somebody has emailed me, that says, Rick, because if you go to my blog right now, uh, Normal, which is the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, 
Um, they did. They put a great television commercial together. And typically stuff that's like pro-pot legalization is just badly done. It's just like a guy in a Dr. Seuss hat, like on a unicycle. and it's just. <laughs> but you know what I mean? They just like... St- they no, look like, I know. And I have a lot of friends who, who smoke the pot. I don't think anything bad about it. I just... But typically... It's but it's like the public face of legalization typically mm-hmm. is just a retard. It's yeah. just some stinking hippie with no job. And, and it's like... pants. Totally. And it's not somebody who should represent the legalization movement. You go to my, uh, you go to rickemerson.com though. There's a, an ad I put up, a normal paid to create a TV ad. And I think their goal is they wanted to raise enough money to get it on during the Super Bowl, which didn't happen. But it really is, it's probably the single best ad I have ever seen for pot legalization. Because basically what they do is they tie it into the economy. They're saying legalize it, regulate it, tax it, we can fix the economy like tomorrow. I mean, which is, which is really, I mean, you know, if the government would start selling it and taxing it, I mean, you cut out the black market, you cut out all the drug crime, we have to incarcerate nonviolent offenders, and the government's making money hand over fist, just like they did with booze and cigarettes. So it's a fantastic ad. So you should go read this. But somebody says, uh, uh, please clarify, I am confused. Um, you were calling Michael Phelps a bit douchebag, but on your website you have a link to a uh, pro-legalization video. Um, you know, uh, you know, please, said it looks inconsistent, please, to explain. The thing about Michael Phelps is, like, well, he's, as Sarah pointed out, you don't just tote around a big bong as like a fashion accessory. I mean, he's getting high. There's just no doubt. About, I mean, right here and repeatedly so. And also, he won 13 medals. And, of course, what is the logical uh, inference there? That, oh, I don't know, like maybe pot doesn't destroy your life. <laughs> like, like maybe it is possible, uh, you know, that he smokes pot and also won some medals. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just saying. But what no. is? But but does he sort of embrace it honestly? No, he does. He puts out this weaselly uh, apology in which he says, "I engaged in behavior which was regrettable and demonstrated bad judgment. I'm 23 years old, and despite the successes I've had in the pool, I acted in a youthful and inappropriate way, not in a manner people have come to expect from me. For this, I am sorry. I promise my fans and the public, it will not happen again. Whereas." You think that a guy who has a fistful of gold medals could stand up and go, yeah, gold medals, pot smoker, eat that. And then just, like, what are you going to say? <laughs> and we'll break in, like, 30 seconds after I make this one final point. Because yes, <laughs> be- because baby boomers, of course, have spent the last few years doing what they do best, which is behaving hypocritically and ramping up, uh, you know, drug laws and incarcerate. Like, Bill Clinton incarcerated more pot smokers than any president uh, in American history. And, of course, Bill Clinton, you know, it was a guy who, you know, of course, we know got high and whatever. And so you'd think that the guy who could settle all this was just is Paul McCartney. You know, Paul McCartney should just get on television. He should buy like a V for Vendetta thing where all over the world Paul McCartney is on television on every single screen for 60 seconds. He goes, I'm Paul McCartney. Uh, you know, I'm rich. I'm famous. I'm successful. I'm grounded. I'm normal. I get high constantly and did throughout the 60s. And every record in your collection was made while I was stoned. The end. Mm-hmm. And like, there you go. Argument over. So anyway. All right. We'll take a break. Back after this. More from Chuck Knopf. And we will answer... The zombie Costco question. You stay there. It's a Rick Emerson show. Don't go anywhere. It's so true. All right. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Mere moments. We get uh, more news of Chuck Knopp. All right. So every weekday, we're going to be doing a zombie uh, survival question. That's all this week. Each day, we'll be doing a different zombie survival question as part of CBS Radio Theater's promotion. That's coming up this coming Sunday, 6 p.m. 
AZ, and uh, we'll actually it'll be back to back with a new one, which is Kimmy Waters and the Songbirds of Sing Sing, which is like a detective noir thriller thing set here in Portland. Uh, but the other half of that is AZ, which is an ongoing uh, serialized radio drama about life in Portland after the zombie apocalypse. So every day this week, we're doing an undead survival question. We're going to start off with a big one today. It's uh, 503-733-2970. Here is the question. And this is something that's divided listeners. And, uh, and I think it, actually Aaron and I are on different sides of the uh, different sides of the equation on this one. So the question is, Costco, good or bad place uh, to hold up during the zombie apocalypse? Is or is not Costco an appropriate place to hide during the zombie apocalypse? Uh, we will not take your calls on that at 503-733-2970. 503 503- 733-2970. Costco during the zombie apocalypse. Yes or no? Uh, in the meantime, uh, real quickly, let's do this. Hello, Sharon. You're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Is Thanks th- for uh, enjoying my trauma. Is this the- oh, that's a terrible story. I feel so bad for you. Is this Sharon uh, <laughs> Is this Sharon the winner of the breakup uh, award today, the $75 ProFlowers.com gift certificate, uh, because uh, your husband hit on your daughter? It absolutely is, and it's ex-husband. Uh, and it was, and that was not his biological daughter. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> but it still sucks or, mightily. Oh, uh, totally. So, so you, yeah, so you were at your son's wedding and your husband was drunk and made a pass at your daughter, and it, then it just says, effectively ending the party and our marriage. Exactly, and that's what I wanted to call about. You read my letter with perfect inflection. Oh, that's well, exactly how I meant it. You know, and Sarah really found the appropriate music bed for that too, which is oh, a sort of great. We've only just begun Carpenter's kind of, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Wow. So, well, um, hey, uh, lemons and a lemonade, though, right? Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, congratulations, and uh, and uh, you know, I don't know. Um, Move on. Yeah, I was just going to say, I have no, I have, there's no graceful way to end this. So, uh, uh, anyway. absolutely not. Well, right. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Sharon. Bye bye. Right. There you go. Thank you. That's fantastic. Hello, Chuck. Hey, Fred. Uh, let's do one or two, and then we'll get these zombie calls here. All right. Two brothers are enjoying a million-dollar Super Bowl win. Joe Herbert and his brother Dave crafted a low-budget Doritos crystal ball commercial. That <laughs> I love saw. that commercial. That's my favorite fantastic. Commercial. The brothers won the money for the commercial that showed a man throwing a snow globe into a vending machine to get free snacks. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> the Herbert brothers made the commercial on a $2,000 budget. And they said the biggest item in the budget was food for the crew on the day they shot it. It's, I mean, it was fantastic. It was a great spot. It was spot. hilarious. I and then the slap. second part to it, too, when yeah. he throws it at his boss's crotch. Yeah. I give it a big thumbs up. Yeah, that's, that, that, that was great. Um, also, something that's new but not so new, gasoline prices up last week, up again for 10 weeks in a row. Now, the question I have is uh, oil closed just above $40 a barrel mm-hmm. today, and it's not been up above that very often, it's right. been down to 35. Why do we see this influx uh, from a buck 59 or a buck 60 to uh, whatever we are ch- being charged now? What buck 99? It does seem five? like it's just a roulette why, wheel. Why is that? I don't know. I mean, really, I have no. I mean, even you ask even like the CNN people, and you go like, what causes this to go up? And they just they, they don't know. There really is no. There appears to be no actual rhyme or reason. I mean, at all. Is it because OPEC's turning the spigot off? Is it because we're buying less? I don't. I don't know, but I feel like the idea that there's one big spigot somewhere. A huge one. <laughs> there's this guy named so Aldo. Let me close this now. <laughs> Who in my head looks just like what Sala from Raiders of the Lost Ark. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's uh, hold on. Uh, and we. All right, can we do a little behind the curtain? Can I drop David? Yes, we'll move that to a hand. Okay. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, it's now time for today's undead survival question. 
course, CBS Radio Theater returns this coming Sunday featuring uh, Kimmy Waters and the Songbirds of Sing Sing and AZ, an ongoing serialized radio drama featuring life in Portland after the zombie apocalypse. Today's question, is or is not Costco an appropriate place to hide out from the undead when they rise? Uh, which is not an if, that's sort of a, a when kind of a question. All right. Uh, hello. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Yeah. Costco would be excellent for the simple fact. I always fall back on the example of the mist. Uh, Costco's, I have never seen a Costco with windows at all. It is basically one big cement hollow slab full of everything you could need to survive. See, I, that's my thing. They got those steel shutter doors with the, the bay doors or whatever. Right, but right, the, it's right. not like... But it's not like some other places where there are actual big glass windows out front, like fries. There, I mean, it's basically you have to get through steel to get into that. No, you could you could shut that place up tight. Nothing could get in or out. I, I can't. I, you could live in there indefinitely. I mean, look how much just sheer bottled water. No, you could you could survive indefinitely in a car. You got your generator. You got your tools. You got your food. You got your clothing. You got your medical supplies. You got hot your, tubs. You got hot your, tubs. You got your books. You got your education. There you go. Because as Max Brooks notes in the Zombie Survival Guide, it's important to have literature, games, etc., to keep your mind focused and sharp so you don't just go nutty. Correct, and right. and if if for whatever if the if the zombie problem went away, say there was a cure found or something, you'd have all this merchandise you could use for bartering in a you know you know. Look at uh, you, Savage Leia. Society. All right, well done, sir. Whatever. There you go. Thank you, my friend. All right, Please. that's uh, excellent. Well done. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Hey. Hey, Costco is the best place to go. Would you like to do any further elaboration? Or are you simply well, going to vote he, the, the straight side? Covered my reasons. There's only there's metal doors. There's only one way in and out. And, uh, Let's yeah, not forget they have their own gas stations, most of them, too. They also have their own fuel supply, because a lot of Costco's now got a gas station right there. Yeah, but you wouldn't be able to get to them because you'd have to go outside. But, no, uh, that's a fair point. As long as you were staying put, you could survive forever there. All right. And, and plus, let's just also note this. If the zombies somehow manage to get into the Costco, zombies can't climb. So you just climb up into one of those huge metal shelves they got where they store all the extra pallets of goods. Uh, the, only, the only problem with Costco is that there wouldn't be any weapons. So uh, you'd have, probably have a problem, but if you keep the metal doors shut, you'd be okay. All right. There you go. Thank you, sir. Okay. All right. Is or is not Costco the appropriate place to hide from the zombies when they come? It Hello? Is with qualifications. I like. I second his thought. No guns, no ammo, no hard liquor, at least in Oregon. And a lot of meat and seafood needing a lot of electrical juice to keep it cold. But I'd have to say yes until something better comes along. And somebody needs to engineer a zombie-inducing virus, please. All right. Okay. Well, Thank you. All right. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Costco, yes or no during the zombie apocalypse? There's one simple thing that everybody seems to be overlooking, and that's the fact that you're going to be stuffed in there with a ton of stupid-ass people, too. You're not going to be in there by yourself. So if you mix up a bunch of freaked-out retards in a, in a giant area like that, sooner or later, somebody's going to somebody's gonna flip out and open the door, and then there's going to be an invasion. I'd say no. I'd say get yourself some ammo and some guns and some jerky and go off into the woods. You've got to form a government in there. That's what you've got to do. Seriously, somebody's got to get the conk. All right, thank you, sir. Yeah. All right, I'll do it two more and we get a break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Costco during the zombie apocalypse, yes or no? No. But because? Well, survivors. You've got to consider that there will be isolated pockets of survivors making raiding runs all over the place. They see a they see a Costco. However much you might think you can, you know, seal it in by moving pallets up against the door or whatnot, you're you're planning against zombies. These are going to be people who will do whatever it takes to get into the building. That's a good point. Human survivors not, are a threat. Not to uh, forget that for the first couple weeks of the zombie outbreak, before it's really widespread, you're going to have disbelievers. That's people true. Going to believe the dead are really up and walking around. 
So you're going to show up to Costco with your sleeping bag and a rifle and say, okay, I'm living here now. And they're going to kick you out because they won't believe. Exactly. Uh... You're going to end up spending the zombie apocalypse locked in a 9 by 10 cell with somebody who's been bitten and attacked somebody. Oh, see, I don't even see now I'm going to be dreaming about that tonight. All right, thank you, sir. All yep. Right. All right, we got to take a break. Don't even get me started on Mrs. Carmody. All right, back after this, the Rick Emerson Show continues next. All right. I should have anticipated we'd need more time for that. I don't think we're anywhere near a resolution on Oh, this. no, you, yeah, your listeners and you and men and zombies. <laughs> They're all alike. They're all alike. Yeah. Uh, this guy says, um, Costco will be a great place if you get there and secure it before anybody else can. That includes being able to get gas from the underground containers into the warehouse. You also need to remove all the signs so others will not know it's a Costco. You'll need a gun store really close so you can raid it for ammo and guns. You'll need to bring a few trucks inside that you will be able to load and convert into zombie killing machines. <laughs> of course, Rick, if you don't get to the Costco, by the way, keep them, this is talking about after the zombie apocalypse, not like today in Portland. If you don't get to the Costco first, then you need to kill everyone and take it over. Again, in the zombie apocalypse, not like now. You shouldn't be killing anybody now, kids. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's Brandon. All right, it's 503-733-2970. Well, I think uh, we're going to have to revisit this tomorrow. We just uh, we may, in fact, here's what I may do tomorrow. I'm going to have to do this one again. Yeah, I think we'll have to continue the the, the zombie Costco thing tomorrow. It's my own fault uh, for, for not realizing it, really the, the amount of detail that we would need in this. So tomorrow, probably maybe early in the show, uh, we'll continue the zombies uh, slash Costco question. We'll try to get that resolved. Then in the second half, like in the back half of tomorrow's show, we'll do the second, we'll do the second, second undead survival question. We're going to do one of those every weekday uh, until the new uh, episode of, uh, of CBS Radio Theater. All right. Which, by the way, just let me tell you right now, and then we'll uh, talk to Chuck Knopf here before we wrap it up and hand it over to Lycus. I've read uh, the script for the next episode of AZ. Boy, howdy. Oh, yeah? Uh, not for everyone. In fact, this coming uh, this coming installment of CBS Radio Theater is going to be the first one that has a, a warning at the front of it. There is going to be a may contain content that is not suitable for all audiences. Uh, it's good, but wow. Well, there's something wrong with the people uh, who make that. <laughs> there's something wrong with anybody that would put that program on the air. That is manifestly irresponsible. Chuck Knopf, yes. you are manifestly wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate your your. Adulation. No, no, no. You sound and Sarah and I. Uh, well, you, you sound fantastic as always. So we were, thank you. Uh, I really, uh, I like being here. By the way, for those of you who are listeners, and I was a listener at one time. Now I get to be here. It's totally insane. It's every boy's dream come true. You got through, it. Are we as crazy as we sound, Chuck? Uh, no, you're more because there are some backstories here that you people out in Radio Land have not heard. That's next time with Chuck Knopf, right here on the Rick Emerson Show. All right, we do want to thank Chuck Knopf. We also want to thank uh, Oregonian uh, Features guru Peter Carlin. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, we want to thank uh, Lisa Desjardins, as well as Amanda Moyer and Jim Roop. Join us tomorrow when our guests will include Katie Darrell, Katie Darrell from TMZ.com and Dawn Taylor. Uh, Rick Emerson Show, produced today and every day by the lovely and talented and black-eyed Sarah X. Dillon for AM970, the talker of the newsroom, Chuck Knopf. On the phone, Richie Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave's in, webmistress, Bridget from upstairs in a brand-new office with a door. CBS Radio Portland Marketing Guru Susan Don't F with me Reynolds As always Thank you for listening Bye now